Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wayne, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And alongside me, I have Freddy. Spoopy boys. Also known as Nighty Knight. And David is not here right now. His toilet flooded. So we told him to handle that instead. And he is taking care of that right now. So uh, best wishes to you, my friend. (laughs) But while he figures all that out, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's live with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, keeping things going with our family trauma month. I'm, I love this month. Like this month has been so fun. It's just it's right. so different. I we haven't really covered too many topics like this, so I, I thought this month was actually quite appropriate for what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this month a lot. But the film that we are talking about today is Stoker. And first mm. and foremost, Freddie, thoughts. 
I gotta say, I've seen this movie before a very long time ago, probably when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Don't remember any of it. So going into oh, it, man. it was like watching it again for the first time. And of course, wow. you know, watching it, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of remember. You're like, oh yeah, scene. I remember that part. I kind of remember yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I would say this. I definitely watched it when I was not too heavily into movies yet. I think. Sure. Because this is shot very beautifully. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, and I remember you texted the group uh, earlier today saying you should have the sound as loud as possible. And mm-hmm. I gotta say, the sound mixing in this is phenomenal. Oh, it's really great. Right. Um, it's a very sensory type of movie in general with like, yeah, hearing stuff, um, seeing stuff, seeing mm-hmm. her mentality how she sees the world and stuff like that is very interesting. I think she does a really good job. Uh, Maya, the actress in the yeah. movie, Nicole Kidman does a really good job too as well. And I forget what the other <laughs> actress name is, Not good. but he's really good as well as being that creepy uncle guy. So yeah, good for him. Uh, but yeah, overall, I would say the movie is really well done. I like how it's edited. I love the sound design. Um, I have to say, yeah, I fully enjoyed this movie, but I would say I was not fully entertained, if that makes sense. I appreciated it sure. more than I was having fun with it, but I do right. appreciate the watch a lot. It's an extra- it's an extremely slow movie. And yeah. with it being as slow paced as it is, I wouldn't necessarily consider this a slow burn. There is no large payoff in this film, um, which I think is fine. Like, I don't I don't I don't know what I would expect for it to happen, right. I guess. Like, I, I don't know what I would want to happen. It's probably a better way of putting it, um, because I do have a sense of respect for this film especially with the director uh park chan wook because uh, park chan wook is the director of um thirst and uh old boy as right. we all know and love so uh, he's so he's a very renowned korean director and he's fucking awesome and um so it, the way that this is shot it's just it's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous and i personally love this movie i've only seen it once before and um, I've always have wanted to see it again, and I just never had the opportunity to do so, which is why I put it on our family trauma list. Um, but I absolutely adore this film. Like, I, I think this film is just beautiful. The sound is fantastic. And this film doesn't feel like a movie from 2013. Like, the, the, this this feels like an A24 movie before A24. And yes, 100%. It, it, it's so well nourished that it has breath to it each time I watch it. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't even really say like, go as far as like, Oh, this is a horror film and but whatever, but it's not, it's horror adjacent for sure. Um, but it is very tasteful when it comes to how it's telling its story. And I think that is something we don't really get to see in, um, this genre too often we we usually get a lot of um very blatant things inside of like some of the films that we've been watching especially this month um like with us it was a very blatant theme like we we even though we unraveled so much in in us it, it still is a very blatant movie if you don't unravel everything you could just see like cool, these are people running away from their doppelgangers that are trying to kill them. That's a very blatant thing. With this movie, you really had to decipher it. Like, you really had to, like, think, like, what 
the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, yeah. is it like you could tell Charlie's off, but you could also tell India's also pretty off. Like, it's it's very odd. Like, I even thought because, like I said, I've only seen this once before. And same thing, like you, Freddie. I I watched this pretty close to when this came out, and um, when I watched it previously, uh, I thought that it was like a an affair thing where Charlie. Uh, like Charlie is actually the father of India versus Richard. So I thought it was, I thought mm-hmm. it was something like that kind of going on, but it was just, it, it's a very odd piece to add to this film, but I really, really enjoy it. And I, I really, I really like this movie a lot actually. Um, and I just think the monologues are absolutely beautiful. And just like you said, Frey, like Nicole Kidman uh, nailed it. Mia Wachowski, I want to say, well, yeah, I'm I think it's Wachowski. Butchering yeah, I think so. that. But uh, she did fantastic. In my opinion, this is one of her best roles. And, I agree. Um, it's just, I, I don't know how to even really explain it. Like, everyone just really, really held their own in this film. So I think that it's just something alone to just gawk over. Because right. everyone is performing extremely well. Um, and the cast is actually really, really fruitful. Like you, you wouldn't expect like Nicole Kidman to be in this. And like, in my opinion, like she was borderline about to go um, like uh, Tony Collette and hereditary for, for me, at yeah. least like you can tell, like if she really wanted to get emotional here, she could, but oh, she sure. kind of, held it together with this elegance and this suave and and uh she was kind of like just just like a boss when it came to her portion of her monologue because i love the fact that each main character we had in this film had their own monologue and i thought that was so clever and so well done to allow them to all have their own monologue so it's just oh fuck man Wow. I'd say uh, Nicole Kidman was definitely giving me vibes of her acting skills in uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which came out a little bit later. Oh, like sure. It's yeah. That, it's like that unsettling, calm acting, but there's a lot of stuff that's going through the screen as a viewer, seeing her mm-hmm. act that way. And I would have to say that's like every character in this movie is that it's a great yeah. ensemble, but you see each character is very different. But at the same right. time, the tone of the movie is the same with each character. So it's it's really yeah. interesting to see how they like portray their characters in this, and they mesh really really well because you see the relationship of the mom and the daughter, the the mom with the uncle and the uncle with the daughter, and it's it's a very interesting dynamic, and then it fits perfectly with our our month, I would say. So yes, yeah. this is a a really good pick that you got for this month. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's yeah, right yeah, in I, there. I feel like this one for sure actually fits in the most out of all of our picks. Uh, because it is literally a family that is traumatizing each other. Like right. it, it, it just, it fits perfectly for what we're kind of doing. Um, Cause I think the, uh, I had us on here and then we have one BR as well, uh, which are all perfect picks. Like they all fit very, very well, but just this one particularly is right on the nose of what is to expect uh, from this um, film. So I think that's actually pretty well done. But let's go ahead and jump into the plot. Stoker, directed by Park Chan-wook, released March 1st of 2013, a runtime of one hour and 39 minutes, a budget of $12 million, and a box office of breaking even 
of $12.1 million. So good for them. All right. Um, I, I actually didn't know this came out in theaters. Uh, so that that's awesome that they were able to at least break even on such an, honestly, an obscure film that I feel like doesn't get talked about often at all. So good for them. Um, and a rating of 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. We open to India Stoker walking out of her car on a desolate highway in front of a cop car towards the grass on the other end. And I actually want to just right off the bat just talk about how much I love how the font disappears oh, yeah. while she walks. Wow. Holy shit, that is clever as hell. I just I think that is so well done and and we see that a lot in this movie and I think it's so cool like we even get it with the comb scene but we'll talk about right. that later. Uh, but it's it's this is a beautiful movie to look at. This is a beautiful movie to look at. And it you know what? Actually, this film reminds me a lot it reminds me very much of like Alfred Hitchcock first and foremost. Mm. Um and I, I did tell you earlier that this definitely did have like Alfred or, or like Hitchcockian background. Um, right. And I, I'm blanking out on the name of the film, but let me just look up his uh, his filmography really quick because it definitely does give me a sense of a sense of Hitchcock in his earlier years for sure, mainly based off of how this film is portrayed in a way. Okay. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, it, it's it, like this film like feels like it was shot with a um, gosh, what is it called when they like draw pictures for the scenes? I'm blanking out so hardcore. It's the on what storyboards, that's storyboards. Thank you. Yes. This movie definitely flows like a storyboard. Like you can tell, yeah, like fair. a storyboard yeah. was utilized for this movie, um, which. Some films use them, or some people who who uh, do films use those, and some people don't. But you can tell, like this is very thoughtful when it yeah. comes to its process. I completely. Uh, by agree. the way, the name of that film is uh, Shadow of a Doubt, um, hmm. and Shadow of a Doubt is very much this movie. It, 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 like literally same name, the whole nine. So like, it, it's a very much this film, and it actually flips because like uh, I want to say like Charlie is actually a girl in his film, but her mother's brother is named Charles. So I, 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 I might be, I might be butchering that a little bit, but I think it's a flip of, of how that kind of works, but it's a, it's also a very beautiful movie, but I feel like this is more tight knit in my opinion. Um, but this also reminds me very much of, um, David Lynch on how it's very thoughtful with its oh, sound sure. design, very thoughtful with its uh, uh, storyboarding and so on and so forth. And I do like that you said about the storyboarding because it does look like this mm-hmm. director really cares about the shots that he makes. And yeah. it's very uh, very apparent in the very beginning of the opening credits of right. seeing her go from like the car just to the fields. It's not shot in a normal way. It's not a panning shot. It's edited very quickly towards her. Yeah to what's uh, the imagery that we see, which I'm sure you're going to break down right now. But it's oh, yeah. interesting how they like do quick pauses. It's like, oh, check this out. All right, continue, continue. Yeah. Check this out. Continue, continue. Right. It's giving us exposition in a very clever and creative way, which I Love appreciate it. in the director. I was like, all right, I don't remember this movie that much, but I do appreciate it already. So I'm in. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and even when the pausing happened, like at first I was just like, oh, that's a little odd. And then I really started thinking about that in my head. And 
I was just like, oh, no, that's actually really clever because it, it's allowing us to take our time. Right. And it, it's not it's not it, it, it's initially telling us, like, slow down, look right. around. There's everything in this film that is just uh, telling a story. Exactly. In a way. It comes full and, circle uh, when we see the ending, of course. But we see absolutely we see it pause on the belt that she's wearing. It pauses right. on the flowers that has like some weird sprinkled stuff on there. It, right. it, it's giving us a story of wait until you see why this is a thing, which yeah. is great. Absolutely. I love it. India monologues, quote, my ears hear what others cannot hear. Small, fairy things people cannot normally see are, ver- are visible to me. Taste scents are the fruits of a lifetime longing to be rescued, to be completed. Just as the skirt needs the wind to bellow, I'm not formed by things that are my, are of myself alone. I wear my father's belt tied around my mother's blouse and shoes which are from my uncle. This is me. Just as a flower does not choose its color, we are not responsible for what we have come to be. Only once you realize this do you become free. And to become adult is to become free. End quote. And I love that. It's just, it, it always sends chills down my spine. And it, oh God. And, and initially, that's what the film is. It's a coming of age story, you know? But it's, mm. oh man, let's continue. India is going through this whisper of a monologue while looking over something with a slight, daring smirk across her face. And then I even put here that weird choice with the pauses until you understand that it's telling you to slow down. Um, We fade to India running in a grassy field until she stops to take off her shoe. She tends to to her foot from a blister that she got while running, uh, and the Oxford's popping it, oozing the pus out of her wound. Pretty gross. Hello, gross. (laughs) She is looking for something in all of these random places, bush, large boulders, tennis balls on the tennis ball court, uh, or a tennis court, and up a tree. She finally finds a box that says, quote, unquote, happy birthday on it we cut to a birthday cake on the dining room table while people are running in the background and the sounds of cars are the sounds of cars are crashing the camera pans closer to the cake that says happy birthday india and a house worker putting a glass lid on top suffocating the flame of the candles the phone is running in the background and it's ringing in the background excuse me um and someone answers with quote unquote richard no i was like whoa shit you know, I, I love right. the exposition behind all of this. This is this is great that like it's exposing us very early on, and it's not really it, it is spoon feeding us, but it's not visually spoon feeding us. Like we're getting all this sensory um, emotion from our auditory senses, which is great. I think that's really cool and really clever. I have to uh, agree. Then, so no, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, pretty much, yeah, it's. Like I said, it's love. It's this is a very unique movie in how they like choose to do things. And that moment, I was like, "Huh, that's odd." But at the same time, I'm in it because I haven't seen stuff right. like this before. So it's something yeah, I like, do appreciate. It oddly works for this particular film. Um, and like I and like I even stated earlier, everybody like this film doesn't really have a payoff. It, it, there, there is no major payoff here. It, it's just. India becomes who she becomes in a True. way. True. I'd um, say there's maybe one good twist and oh, sure. that's almost but, a payoff. But at the same time it's like But I have I have some the, theories about that. Yeah. I think the twist itself is what 
converts her fully to her like final personality or form, I guess. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. We'll talk about we'll it get when there. we get there. Exactly. Yeah, we'll get there. Cut to India and her mother, Evelyn. Oh, excuse me. Then title card. Cut to India and her mother, Evelyn, um, at the funeral for India's father, Richard. A priest is going over with kind words about Richard and how he carried himself. Excuse me. India is looking around without tears in her eyes and notices a man with shades on standing in the distance watching the funeral. India is back home playing a somber tune on the piano while her mother calls out for her and a spider creeping t- closer towards her. Um, and I absolutely love the score in this movie. Like the music in this movie oh, is yeah. beautiful. It's the, so melancholy. The piano playing, love it. it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's, it's so gorgeous. Good. Like and I love how it's not really operatic. It is very much uh, like symphonic. Um, so I, I I do love that, I, and I think it's a very clever choice to initially make them all piano players. Right. Like I, I think I think that is absolutely clever and to it, allow that. It works for her as a character to be playing uh, playing the piano because her being able to like hear so well and feel everything out. Right. It's right. like it's truly something she would be really good at, and she really right. is really good at playing the piano. I gotta say, so this was a She's, nice movie. It was just like sitting back, relaxing, even though there's some parts that's not relaxing, but just getting <laughs> that, like you said, that melancholy of music and tunes coming through the, right. the speakers of the absolutely. TV. So yeah. yeah. And I, I think, too, when it comes to her playing on the piano um, and things like that, that makes us so aware of itself or self-aware of itself is um, is the fact that just like how you said, like, is she, is she, it's like a sensory thing for her. But it's also another way for her to tell us her story. And right. um, I think that is also just a very poetic and romantic way of kind of showcasing that in this film. So I think that's also just very, very well done. Um, Evelyn calls for her again and India stops playing the piano. She tells India that the guests will uh, be there soon and to help Mrs... Mrs. McGarrick in the kitchen. India turns around from her stool and just looks at Evelyn. Evelyn tells her uh, to not do this to her, not on this day. India looks down and notices the terrible CG spider crawling up her leg and doesn't make anything of it. I don't, I just, I, I didn't like, I didn't like that. Just the CG spider. Like, I, I get it. Yeah. Like, you, you, you know, you want, you want a specific spider maybe. Right. Um, but like, just have like a daddy long leg or something. It doesn't need to be like some crazy wild spider. Like, I don't fuck, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I just never understood that. Unless you're going to have like a wild looking spider, but the spider just looks very plain Jane. But Right. And we get yeah. a couple of close-up shots of the spider twice in this scene, and then we have another shot of a spider again later on in the movie. Do you think right. the spider re- uh, represents the uncle coming into her life and kind of like I, attaching to her in a way? I think it's actually a disruption of her purity. Mm, um, okay. So... Yeah, I, I think I that's how I feel because it's it's this is very weird, everybody. So stick with me on this one. But uh, it's it's very sensual how the spider crawls up her leg, right? Like it, it's very it's very delicate, it's very light, but it, yet it's still crawling up to a very personal space on her body. Um, so it's it, it's very interesting, but I think it has something to do with her. Uh, 
innocence and her purity um because just like how the film progresses uh she is very not only is she to herself but she's also very much a child you know like she 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 depends on her family and uh i think that was like a disruption into that to where it's allowing her to grow up just like how her uncle did so yeah i do i do agree with you i do i do think it's a little bit of both for sure so oh interesting interesting (laughs) instead we cut to her peeling the shells off of boiled eggs while doing so two housekeepers are talking about richard's accident while india is sitting at the table what a fucking dick move seriously um, has some fucking goddamn decency, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, one but mentions. I'll say ahead. this: um, they don't mean to say it really in front of her, but the big thing is that she's so good at hearing. She, yeah, she hears. She yeah. can hear it, and I love right. what she does, which we'll talk about right now. Oh yeah, this is fucking genius. One mentions who is going to look after India now that her father is gone, while the other says that she still has her mother. Um, India can hear their entire conversation. And that, that's another thing too. Like her father's gone and she was very much sheltered under him. And that's why I thought like the, the spider was a symbolism of purity being ripped away. Um, but uh, one, uh, excuse me, India can hear their entire conversation, but distracts herself by cracking the shell on the table and rolling it loudly close to her ears. What a beautiful way to, initially destroy your auditory sense right because we we understand later in the film as to why she hears so well and why she's so in tuned with her surroundings um but man what just a a, like and it was loud like it it felt like we were hearing from her her perspective so smart i love that so smart so smart the two women continue saying that the accident seems strange, wondering if it wasn't if it was an accident at all. And there's our first kind of like context clue and foreshadowing, right? Um, their gossip is interrupted by uh, by Mrs. G- uh, McGarrick coming into the room with a stern look on her face, asking if everything is all right. The two tell her yes while they run the trays out of the room. Mrs. McGarrick comes into the room and sits down next to India, rolling still or. Uh, still rolling the egg around on the table. She asks her about about the eggs while trying to have a taste of one of the deviled eggs. India cracks a slight smile, but she uh, doesn't try the egg. She tells McGarrick that her eggs remind her of when she was a little girl. McGarrick makes a sly joke about her being grown up, but still making a mess, then comments on her on her outgrowing her shoes. Yet again, another sense of she's still a kid, um, and she is... Uh, initially trying to find herself right and, damn like that I, i'm even retroactively thinking about this movie like this movie is fucking genius yeah like damn it <laughs> like you can even like India- represent like the egg how she's like cracking her own shell into something new Ooh. in a way you know like and it's fun it, it, i, I love that her shell and her defense mechanism yeah. of being a child into yeah. adulthood yeah. i love that you said that because even even her cracking that egg it takes a while for her to release that shell right and that egg she's cracking she's doing it for a long time so oh man i really i think you're on something freddie i I like that 
Uh, India's attention is elsewhere when she notices the yellow ribbon that is wrap that is wrapped around the flowers on the table. It resembles the small the same ribbon that was on her birthday box. Then McGarrick asks her if she found if she found her her present yet. We jump to a flashback of India opening the box up on the tree, but the box was empty. McGarrick asks her if she is sure and to check the box again while letting off a warm smile. India tells her that she thought it was her father leaving her shoes on her birthday, but doesn't complete it. Um, she pulls the key from her necklace, asking McGarrick, what does it open? McGarrick tells her that she doesn't know, and India hears chatter from the other room, but of someone in particular. India goes out to the room and notices the only person not wearing black putting flowers on the table, speaking with Evelyn and the other guests. He is going over a story and towards an, in, towards an assumption on him breaking a vase part of a set of four. And I absolutely love this too, which is kind of like giving us another kind of like little context clue of his disruption. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoy that. I enjoy him. Like I enjoy them kind of chatting about the vase very quickly. Evelyn tells him that it, that it was one of the housekeepers when they were moving in. She notices India and tells her to say hello to her uncle, Charlie. She trails off remembering the man at the funeral with a voiceover of Charlie saying, quote unquote, see you soon while walking away. He turns around and gives her a hello with a smile while her mother has a scowl. She doesn't greet him in return and just looks down, but not not in shyness, rather in annoyance. Evelyn goes over to her and touches her side, but India slightly revolts. Evelyn explains that she doesn't like to be touched and how she is her mother and it's and it being a curse. And uh, I love how we get a, get a closer sense of that a little bit later down the line. And I have yeah. so many theories behind all of this that I am so excited to get to later down in the third act. India heads back inside the kitchen and McGarrick tells her that she is as white as a sheet and if something is wrong. She tells her, yes, her father died. And I I love that. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's so innocent, but it's so true. At the same time, right. yeah, there is something that's wrong. My dad is exactly. dead. My father is right. gone. That's, yeah. Yes. It's a real and answer it, it, for sure. It is a real answer. And on top of that, it's it's. It it brings back reality of everyone who was having a good time in that room. It brings us back to reality as to the reason as as why they're there. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's just it's really clever on how that's done to bring us back to let us know like they're doing like this isn't a party. This is a wake. Like they are there for a funeral. Like that is the only reason why they're here, and yet everyone's having a good time. No one's crying. No one's uh, sad. Even like it's just everyone's having a good time and laughing. And granted, it's the whole context of celebrate celebrate someone's life and so on and so forth. But celebrating someone's life initially means talking about their life when nobody was talking about his life. Right. It was just about them. Right. In a way. And and I thought that was just very clever and very well done to bring us back into reality. Cut to India lying down, looking at the box of shoes as it goes through a time lapse of her getting the same type of shoe every single year. You can uh, hear tiny footsteps. This also gives us a representation of her age now because we see how many shoes are there. Uh, it's technically 17 shoes on the bed, but um, there's the 18th shoe was on the floor. 
um, or excuse me, correction. There's 16 shoes on the bed, and the 17th shoe is on the floor. Right. Um, so that gives us a context clue of, of how old she actually is. Um, cut to India lying down on the. Oh, sorry, I read the other part. <laughs> uh, you can see, you can hear tiny footsteps in the background while the camera goes back to India from the back of her head. This time, showing us that she is lying down, surrounded by all of the shoes. What a beautiful shot, man! It's so good wow. because it kind of like represents like a clock, and it's like the different times that yeah. she grew up. In which I'm like, oh, that's visually stunning. Like that's a good move Absolutely. right there. And then I love how like the editing too, like cuts to a shoe, to another shoe, to another shoe, to another shoe, and it's just right. slowly surrounding her. But it's really just fading into the shots of different shoes getting bigger and bigger. So it's like cool, exactly. So it's, it's a symbolize symbolizing time, and then you see the symbol of time around her, which is great, cool. Yeah, so good, so good. And I also think too, it's 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 a it's a piece of mourning too, right? Where uh, she's kind of not trapped but sanctioned like she she has like a little sanctuary of where her shoes are wrapped around her um knowing that they came from her father um kind of gives her that sense of safety it felt like which is also very well done yeah jump to the Jump to the reverend commenting on how beautiful a stuffed dead bird is. Evelyn tells him that Richard was so impressed with India's hunting skills that he stuffed everything that she killed while she comments on it being a tragic waste of life. And I, I that's how we kind of get the sense of how India is so in tune to her surroundings of uh, being able to see things very, uh, very quickly or to focus on something and to study something and to hear something and all, all that great stuff. Charlie tells her that these birds live deep in the forest and it being extremely hard to catch. She tells them that she guesses her and Richard were a good team. Char- uh, Charlie lifts the bird off the nest and it shows a little egg transitioning into India's eye, looking around the de- looking around the deadly gathering. Someone is gossiping about Charlie being disrespectful, not wearing black to his brother's funeral, while India is moving about the wake. The gossiping continues, claiming that Charlie has come east from Indonesia to, from digging up gold. The Reverend, uh, the Reverend Evelyn, I'm going to refer to her as Evie from now on, and Charlie are all coming in, out of the study while India makes contact with Charlie. Charlie looks at McGarrick, and I, I keep wanting to call her McGormick. But that's like the spices that you get at Safeway. (laughs) I keep wanting to call her McGormick, but it's not it. So it's McGarrick. Charlie looks at McGarrick and she stares at him with crippling fear on her face. And he, uh, he goes over to speak with her, but we can't hear what they're saying. And I love this because like it shows us right off the bat, something is off with this dude. Like why? Yeah. Why would she be f- fearful, or why would she have that uh, shock on her face? So, oh man, well done. He leaves her with a smirk on his face while India makes her way across the room to avoid conversation with him. He stares at India from across the room and follows her until she walks out of the house, closing the door behind her while giving him a look. Evie pulls Charlie aside, stopping his trek towards India and introduces him to some more guests. And uh, I even put here that absolutely, I absolutely adore the the melancholic score in this film. I think this is uh, why I thoroughly actually enjoyed this movie because it is just 
it's just a sad movie. Like it, it, it like there is. Even though, yeah, we can pretty much feel happy for India, we know what's happening to her. So, yeah. it, initially, this is not a happy movie. No, this is this, a sad movie. This movie is really good at doing one big thing, and that's keeping the tone very consistent throughout. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's lacking anything, or like the pacing's really off. It feels a very fluid movie all the way through from beginning to end. So I give a lot of praise to that. Right. And that I agree. was a great shot, too, of him trying to follow her. And then she fin- finally gets to those two doors and closes it on right. him. And then kind of like goes outside shot. and then follows her outside and then coming back into a different door. I was like, hell yeah, that's cool. Right. That's really cool. And and it follows her outside from inside the house. So it's like following yeah. her through the windows. And I think that is just so cleverly done all in one shot. Beautiful. Beautiful. Remarkable, even. We can see India continuing to walk outside the window and the camera following her from inside the house, as we stated earlier. She comes in from another door and takes a seat on the steps while, while someone is commenting the stokers being smart and saying to look at India. She ignores the conversations, but her thought is startled by Charlie saying hello to her again. And um, she's very surprised by Charlie, mainly because he's very swift like he knows how to get around very quietly. And I, I think that's something that surprises her about him as well. And probably intrigues her as well. Oh yeah. I think she's she becomes very suspicious of him immediately. It's like, hmm, you're the type of prey that I see in my sights that I can't really hear or tell what you're about to do. And it's kinda like just her trying to study him and just doesn't trust him immediately. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that. I could definitely see that. India gets up surprised looking at him. He asks her if she wants to know why he feels at a disadvantage. She questions it. Uh, she questions um, it. Oh, she questions if it is because she didn't know that he existed until today. He rebuttals saying that it is because she is standing below him. And th- their conversation is just so elo- like elegant. You know, it's just a very well well thought out conversation from two people who are extremely poetic when they talk in general. So I think that's pretty cool. India looks at him at the bottom of the step and then makes her way up, up towards him, not in front, but slightly above. She tells him that he looks like her father and he, and he apologizes. She reminds him that it is his loss as well. I, I love that. I love yeah. that. Cause in retrospect, you know, like why he said that initially oh for sure charlie charlie stares at her for a moment before beginning to walk down the stairs he turns around to tell her that her mother is going to tell her uh that he is going to be staying there for a while but he wants he wants it to also be her decision as well she questions this and he tells her that it is because it is important to him while smiling and heading back downstairs she watches him and he whistles a somber tune and i love that whistle like I, it's so sad. Yeah. yeah. Like, like For it's sure. so, it's such a depressing tune that he whistles, but yet it tells so much, it it tells so much emotion inside of a story. I just, ah, oh, I just think it's so well done. So well done. We transition continuing with Charles whistle, um, to, 
to him working in the yard, digging at the ground to place these stone pieces in the ground. India comes up to the window looking at him and he stops whistling, then looks up at her, telling her that it is a, it is a beautiful garden. She doesn't respond. He continues telling her that uh, the soil is soft and good for digging <laughs> while grabbing a stone uh, piece to place in the dug up spot. Motherfucker had it all planned, man. Oh, for sure. And is this where like the housemaid is gone already? I don't know when she disappears. No. Okay, okay. Not yet. Not right. yet. He has a conversation with her before she goes. Uh, we cut to India. Wonder. Oh, also, everybody, just a, a little heads up. It is very warm in the Bay Area this uh, tonight, so I have my window open. So if you hear any background noise, do. Please uh, accept our apologies on that. Um, hopefully our microphones don't pick it up or my microphone doesn't pick it up. But just a little note as to if you hear something going on in the background there. Uh, we got to India wandering around around the property while she hears Charlie speaking to, with McGarrick. India quickly and quietly heads over to a tree to get a better look and listen. We don't hear what Charlie says, but McGarrick responds with her being the only person who would know about it doing everything that he asked, keeping him informed every single year. She continues saying that she, uh, that she was his eyes, ears, hands all of this time. She starts to reprimand him, saying that it that he has done this to her ever since he was a child and that she is tired of it. He gives he gives off an irritated but understanding all right. Then we cut to Evie getting up to the sound of something operatic waving through the house. Evie comes down the stairs calling for McGarrick, but no answer. She asks India where she is, and India tells her that she hasn't seen her yet while she is reading an encyclopedia. And I'm not going to lie. Real talk. My grandmother used to make me do this. <laughs> to read the encyclopedia? She used to make me read an encyclopedia every night. I had to read at least five excerpts every single night That's before dope. bed. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't at the time, but no, it, well, it definitely helped my like my vernacular and stuff like that. I, right. I'm very appreciative that she did that now, but I, I used to do that. I think I did that for like four or five years. It's okay. But at I, the time, I used to hate that shit. It's okay. Me too. I had the whole like, uh, what was it the whole book collection? It was like different. Each book was a different yeah. leather. So there was like yeah, fucking thirty six books. It was great. It's so it's so many of them. So too many. many. Too many. Yeah. Too many. You're right. Too many. Absolutely. Uh, some of them did like transition into where they were like some together. I think X, Y, and Z were all together. I think but, so. You know, and that was like a fat Besides the point. Yeah. Goddamn Britannica. I was a, I felt like a psychopath yes, when I was reading them. Britannica. <laughs> yeah, man. They were so expensive too. Like my grandmother didn't, she oh, yeah. didn't have money to get them. Not so cheap. she found a set and I was missing K, but she found a set. That was uh, at the Goodwill without initially K, and that's how, that's how I got my Britannica uh, encyclopedia. You know what? That's okay. And then one Sorry. one birthday I had, yeah, that was really bad, Freddie. One birthday I did get, I received the K, and I was like, "Yay, great, <laughs> <laughs> lovely." That's so kind. Kind is a uh, emotion. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm not going to. That's oh my god! <laughs> Evie turns off the radio, greets her with a good morning. And I think this is so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. And India quickly reminds her that it is afternoon. She agrees and is about to ask her for a cup of coffee, but there's already a cup of coffee on the table waiting for her. She thanks her while grabbing the coffee and asking her, what is she doing today? India responds, quote, thought I'd draw the curtains, stop the clocks, cover the mirrors, and then retire to my room. 
end quote. Evie tells her not to be morbid and to get rid of that dress. India tells her, uh, without removing her face from the pages, that it is her mourning attire. And mourning as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Yeah. That's why I think this is such a clever thing, because even when uh, Evie comes in and says, good morning, I do thoroughly believe that India takes it as mourning, as mourning her father and it not being a good thing. Therefore, she switched it to afternoon. Right. And it's so interesting. I love how they did that. I love the word. Yeah, me too. Evie tells her, uh, Evie tells her that they should get out um, and go shopping included with some ice cream. India tells her that the Victorian times, a widow was expected to mourn her husband for two years at least. Evie tries to respond, but India continues with her history lesson on proper mourning. In ancient China, they would build a straw hut beside the grave and live there for three years, doing literally nothing. Evie asks her again if she would like to go shopping and get ice cream with her, reminding India that she has gone on countless hunting trips with her father and she wants, uh, and all she wants is an afternoon with her. That uh, then concludes telling her that it is what her father would have wanted. She tells her India that she tells India that her and Richard weren't always so distant that she miss uh, she misses when he was young while looking outside the window at Charlie reading a book under the tree. Uh, and you, you see this beautiful duality uh, with the both of them. Uh, like one is completely smitten looking out of the tree while the other one is slightly disgusted. I, <laughs> I love that. Like I love how yeah. like they're like, I'll put it this way, how one is already a grown adult while the other one is still in childish ways. And I I think that is very intriguing. Um, Cut to Charlie in a car with a blank stare, putting the top down, waiting for Evie, while India is in the house sitting at her piano with the metronome clicking back and forth. She gets in the car, and they are on their way. India starts to practice the piano, but stops shortly after getting up, walking up, after, stops shortly afterwards, getting up, walking up the stairs in rhythm to the metronome. I thought that was also really cool. The sound design, man. God. so good. She... She goes on her bed and gestures snow angels in rhythm. Also, very fucking fascinating as we come to learn later on in the film as what Charlie does. Ah, so good. In retrospect, this movie just makes you appreciate it that much more. Yeah, it's impressive like, filmmaking. They they planned everything out, which is great. Yeah. They definitely did, and I and I appreciate them for that. I applaud them for that. I'm gonna take a quick sip of water. Sorry, that was a <sighs> sip of water. Yep. <laughs> Gulp. She finds a water gun, places it down, and then finds a binder with a passport and an insane amount of business cards. Then she places that down as well. She continues pulling out of the pulling pulling out these Clubmaster shades. Ooh, they look fly as fuck too. Man, I wanted those damn shades. Hell yeah. Put, putting them on, looking at the blazer that hung across the room. Clubmasters are all I wear, so everyone who knows me knows that like I'm a huge Clubmaster fan. I don't have any shades um, of Clubmasters. I have Wayfarers, but I wear Clubmaster glasses. So all my pairs of glasses, I have four pairs of glasses, all Clubmasters. Boom. That's my life. Wow, wow, wow. 
Wow, wow, wee wow. She continues pulling out of the... Uh, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you. Uh, meanwhile, Evie and Charlie are pulling back up to the front of the house. India continues searching through his things. She gasps when she finds a white box with a yellow ribbon tied around it. She shakes the box to feel what is inside and, and opens it, not revealing what is inside to us. Her mother stops the metronome and calls for India. Or, excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. India looks out of that out towards that direction and remembers the key, then closes the box, placing it back in the bag. Charlie and Evie are sharing a drink while India makes her way down to the kitchen. Evie uh, comments on the mature aroma of the wine and it being a good choice of the year. And I think that is just another sign of letting us know that age is very much important in this film. Uh, that yeah. is a, actually not age excuse me age is an important maturity maturity is important i agree i do yeah. want to uh talk about really uh, about the gift box as Please. well about the yellow ribbon and this is yes, maybe, yeah. maybe overthinking everything but it's like oh colors matter in film and media and blah 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 oh yeah everything but, everything is intentional right so like yellow obviously uh really goes for like freshness happiness positivity and clarity but also mm-hmm. yellow is also a representation of caution as well mm-hmm. so that's yeah. really like right a big thing about this is like oh yeah it has a little bit of clarity and happiness and optimism and enlightenment uh, of like a gift of not knowing what's inside but at the same time unraveling something that's yellow too is representing a sign of caution and that's why caution tape right. is normally yellow so fun fact that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you, you're going to get, sweetheart. I added the I last mean, part. Yeah. You kind, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get chocolate. But anyway, Charlie tells her that you cannot compare it to, it to a younger wine on the count of it being Teutonic and it not being ready to be open. And I think that is just like a beautiful key for how he pictures um, India of her oh, not being yeah. ready yet and him kind of doing these little things prepping her exactly. to come out of her shell. I think this is just, it's beautiful that like, this is how this kind of works out because it, it's very odd when you first watch this because you like, it is very sexual towards her. Um, and it is very weird because he is her family initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really think about it, it's not supposed to be that type of sexual. It's supposed to be mature initially. Right. I would never want an uncle of my child to do this to her. But sure. I, I'm, I assume that is what they're going for in this film. And the big thing but, is like he chose that wine, which is the same year as her. As her birthday. Which is as uh, her birth year. Yeah. Didn't like it. Yeah. Pretty gross. India stops to glare at them both while her mother tells her that she should be should have gone with them, gloating about the trip. She tells India that they stopped and Charlie got ice cream, got some ice cream for her. He tells her that he got one chocolate and one vanilla. Then he then he, um asks if he got it right. And everybody here, the odd sexual attention is just gross because it, it it like he's he's very he's very passionate when he talks to her. Like he, he he doesn't talk to her like a normal person. He talks to her like very like I got one chocolate and one vanilla. Did I get it right? And it's very it's very like very like flirtatious 
Yeah. When he talks to her. 100%. It's, it's very gross. Yeah. It's very gross. Um, she tells him that she likes the swirl kind of ice cream. Once again, another childish nature. When Evie comments on her, telling her you can swirl it yourself and while calling her lazy. Uh, she asks where McGarrick is, and India tells her that she still isn't isn't there. While Evie is surprised by this, asking what they are supposed to do, Charlie is on the other side of the kitchen with a mischievous look on his face. Evie shares that she isn't much of a cook, but he tells her that he can cook a little. She tells him that he doesn't have to, but Charlie lets her know that he would love to. Evie compliment, a complimentary ask, who in the world is he? Well, he gives off a smirk towards India. And it's initially just him saying, like, I know exactly who I am. I'm India's uncle. And like, because he's mm-hmm. very proud to be her uncle. Like that, like that is something he takes very much pride in. And that's how I pictured that as uh, he smirks at India. Um. He sternly but politely asks if he if she can take the ice cream down to the freezer. Our first step in initially conditioning her. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't answer him, standing there, arms crossed, and Evie tells her to do as he says. He's her uncle. She glares at her, but her heads over to grab the two tubs headed out of the door while um the two thank her. She is downstairs and can hear distinctly and, and can hear distinctly what Charlie and Evie are talking about upstairs. India turns on India turns on one of the hanging lights and swings it. While while it is going back and forth, we could see the light is shining on Evie swinging onto Charlie. Also, just a beautiful imagery. Oh, so good. Because they're not in there right. with her. She's downstairs at this point in time, and the the light swings back and forth, showing them laugh and have a good time in the kitchen. And I think that is just so, so well done. It's Very beautiful. clean editing. Yeah, and lighting. Very clean. And cinematography. So good. All of it. <laughs> All of it. All of it so good. India continues moving down the creepy corridors, uh, turning on every light and making her way to the freezer. Slightly creeped out, she looks behind her and quickly puts the tubs in the freezer. We get a quick glimpse of something inside, looking like something is stuck underneath um, underneath the meat. And I am put here, all the da- all this damn money, you can't renovate your motherfucking basement? Right? Like, like the only place that's like super creepy. creepy. Super, super creepy. creepy. And I told myself Yuck. watching this scene too when they showed that little quick flash. I was like, I'm not gonna pause it. They're gonna show me later. I'm gonna be like a normal movie viewer. <laughs> I was like, don't want that spoiled for me because I didn't remember. I could have assumed, right. but I was like, cool. Uh also right. just a weird fun fact because I like to like look at deeper meanings into stuff. I was like, uh please. She likes yeah, swirl that ice cream. That's very odd. Chocolate and vanilla swirl together. I like that too. So I <laughs> randomly looked up for my notes. What kind of people are they to have that kind of flavor? Like, like what was it? What ice cream flavors say about your personality? So, oh sure, there was nothing about swirl, but then I looked at vanilla and I looked at chocolate, and I love what mm-hmm. I found. Vanilla lovers are impulsive, chocolate lovers are flirtatious. She's a little bit mm. of both, and I was like, huh, that kind of fits the character very well. And that's also perfect. her uncle. So I was like, huh, that's a cool little fun fact for you guys. But yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah, yeah great fun <laughs> like, fact, Freddie. That was awesome. Perfectly. I was like, hmm, this movie's pretty spot on. I don't know if they actually searched that, 
but I like that it fucking makes sense. I don't know, man. Remember, everything's intentional. I don't everything's know. intentional. Probably. Back up. Back upstairs, um, and Charlie is quickly cutting uh, cutting something. We can only see his shadow while India is staring at him. Very much reminds me of Psycho, right? Like, uh, oh, yeah. especially with the knife. Like, reminds me of Norman Bates um, uh, stabbing. Um, I forgot her name in the movie, but uh, uh, Janet Lee. Um, yes. He asks her if if it is too cold down there, and she tells him no while walking out of the room. Charlie goes back to chopping. They are at the table eating, and Evie brings up there being a time that Richard uh, Richard used to cook meals for them. Um, she tries to get validation from India, but then remi- remembers that this is before she was born. Kind of like a slap in the face, in a way, where she's just like, "Oh, yeah. that's right. It was before you born. Before you were born. Of course, you don't remember that." It's like, well, "Like, well, wow, you didn't have to say it like that." Fuck. She softly sighs, asking Charlie where he learned to cook like this. He tells her Madame Jacquin and her running a Michelin-starred restaurant outside of Toulouse. India is eating the food, not impressed, while Evie continues to gawk, commenting about it being a female chef. Charlie tells her that, in in her opinion, there is nothing a man could master that a woman couldn't make. India asks for clarification, while her mother tells her that it sounds better in French. He goes on to compliment Evie's French accent. Chuckling, she tells him that it is one of the uh, perks perks to a first-class education i even put her i bet it is must be nice to have money must be nice (sighs) she continues telling him that she can still she can stay locked in this house for the rest of her life and yet speak impeccable french he tells her that he knows that she isn't going to stay locked in locked up in the house while asking her uh how she spends her days wanting to know his brother's wife India glares at him while Evie tells him that she doesn't know where to start, then jokingly comments on him not touching his food and asking if he poisoned the food for them. He quickly chuckles, saying that India ate every last drop, practically licked the plate. She looks down at the plate and strings of veggies are left on the plate. India drops her silverware on the plate and he smiles, trying to lighten the mood, telling her that he is glad that she liked it while offering them ice cream. India tells him no, while her mother corrects her. Quote, no thank you, end quote. India repeats it with a smile, but immediately dropping it, continuing her glare. Evie uh, asks her if she would like to play something for them after dinner, and India tells her that she doesn't think so, and returning the question back to her mother. She then mockingly repeats, no thank you, while turning her attention back to Charlie. So well done. I love the black and forth between the mom and the daughter. Oh, yeah. Mainly because, like, you could tell that Evie never really was close with her daughter. Like, that was mainly Richard's kid, not her kid. Right. She even says, I was like, how could I compete? You guys used to go hunting all the time together. Right. So I was like, exactly. She was like the third wheel out, essentially, in the relationship with the family, which is like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. sad to see. It looks like she's trying now, but it's kind of like, uh, India is like not about it at all, right? Exactly. It, I mean, it, it, sometimes it just gets to a point where, um, and this isn't necessarily like too little, too late kind of thing, um, but it's just more so she's at that age of where she is trying to figure her independence out anyway, 
but at the same time, she still kind of needs family. Um, so it, it's very, very intriguing on how they, how they picture her, I guess. Um, they are silent until India breaks it, asking Evie why she didn't tell her that her that she, she had an uncle. She tells her that she, that she barely knew Charlie herself and that he was traveling the world for as long as she knew Richard. Charlie chimes in with something that Richard shared with him, quote, what kind of family is family that never comes home, end quote. Evie, with mist of tears in her eyes, says that, uh, says, for them to stop talking about Richard about getting up and excusing herself from the table. Charlie gets up and drops his cloth onto the table while India grabs a bottle of wine to inspect it. Charlie sits back with a tinge of excitement on his face, staring at her from across the table. He tells her the year, 1994, while sliding his glass of wine towards her to take a sip. Yet another conditioning factor to create more maturity for her. He comments it on of the year she was born. She looks at the glass, pulls it closer to her lips, taking several gulps of the wine while looking at Charlie. And yet again, another sense of uh, adolescence, right? Where kids chug juice and water and so on and so forth. And earlier than as an adult, you more so do a drinking method of socialized drinking where you sip versus chug. So... Unless you're at a party or a, or a mad <laughs> rager where it's just like, yo, chug that shit. But initially, that is like the aspect, uh, I feel like, of, of adolescence versus maturity. Sipping versus chugging and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that's a very – this is a very clever way for us to see her immaturity manifest itself while yeah. Charlie is trying to place maturity on top of that. Yeah, so it's, I, th- it's I think it's just very forcing clever. her to be a little bit more mature too, because I'm sure, of course, the legal age of drinking is 21 too. But at the same time, it's like, here, you're old enough to have this now. Take it. See your own maturity here. In a way, it's like it's it's fine wine. It is ripe now because you don't want to spoil wine that's not too old. This wine, being your age, is perfect. Go ahead and try it. Exactly. So yeah, and, it's, and it's creepy just and how weird, he, but uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's very weird. But just how he comments on the wine earlier being the perfect age, the perfect maturity, um, like very much. He was talking uh, technically about the wine, but he was really talking about in, India, talking about India of her being the perfect prime age, the perfect age to be mature, to be on her own, to be of age, as he mentions later in the film. He has complete amazement and wonder on his eyes while she asks him, what does he want from her? Charlie quickly tells her, quote, unquote, to be friends. She loses her stare and slides him back the glass, telling him that they don't need to be friends, they are family. We cut to Middle Bend High, where India is drawing up, is Drawing and her teacher, Mr. Feldman, is giving a lesson. Pitts moves up closer to her ear and mockingly whispers that his eyes are penetrating the inside of her. He place he places his drawing of India over her ear over hers, um, 
while all his friends sit back and laugh at his bullying gesture. She begins to draw over over his drawing while ignoring him. Pitts takes his drawing away and tries to make her flinch by acting like he is going to throw a punch. One of the boys, Whip, is intrigued by her reaction. She doesn't budge, and Mr. Feldman calls out to him while he is sarcastically responding to, uh, to him. The school bell starts to ring while Feldman asks Pitts if there there is something that uh, he would like to share with the rest of the class. He tells him that that he does have something to something that he would like to uh, share. That includes India's name. The camera isn't focused on him. Oh, excuse me. The camera isn't focused on them. However, it is focusing on the inside of the vase as we see that it is matching India's drawing. So and good. I even put here, I actually really like that they chose a male bully instead of a female one. It really showcases the dangers and harassment that women face from men, even right. at an earlier age. Yeah. So I, I think that is actually a really, really well done touch. Uh, cut to all the kids leaving school for the for the day, and all India... And all India stops while gawking, and all of them stop while gawking and murmuring at the sight of Charlie standing next to his car. India stops and stops and looks at him, but doesn't decide to doesn't decide to go with him. Instead, she takes the bus. All the girls are moved to the back of the bus while Charlie is following closely behind the bus. India takes out out her eyeglass case with the mirror to look to see where he is. As he is pulling up next to, her, to the bus, she quickly shuts her mirror case and he smiles at her. All the girls start to scream at his smile. And I personally think this is a little much. I, I think this is a little much in the film personally. Like like he's a rock star in a way. Like I get it. He is yeah. very, he's a very attractive man, but at the same time, like this They're just felt a little, a little, bit. little forced. Right. Yeah. Like every single girl on the bus is fucking screaming at this dude. Really? So like, I don't know. It's just, he's not the Beatles. It's just like, let's chill the fuck out. Um, but whatever. Maybe they don't have attractive people in their town or something. I don't know. <laughs> the, the bus and Charlie transitions out um, while India is walking on the road and the road transitioning underneath her, morphing into the road to her house while Charlie slowly creeps the car behind her. Fucking beautiful and genius. I've right. never seen something like this. Like, it, yeah. it's just, it, it looks so good. And it's like, it's one of those things, like, it's not necessary to be in the movie, but you appreciate the director for putting it there because it's like, it's very creative. It's like, cool. Right. Yes. Thank you for standing out. Appreciate that. Right. And and you can definitely tell that, like, he, he definitely made this for uh, a North American audience, right? Where, yeah. um, like, he he very much focused on uh, kind of American aspects in a way. So it, I think that was very, very clever of him also doing that as well. India walks into her dad's study and notices Evie passed out, slumped in a chair. She calls out to Evie while holding a tray of tea, but no response. India is leaving out of the house for school, but Charlie comes out uh, with an umbrella telling her that it's going to rain. She ignores him, and we cut to her getting dropped off at home from the school bus, getting soaked in the downpour. She comes up to the gate with... And the umbrella is waiting for her at the gate, but she chooses not to take it. He can and continues walking back up to uh, up the house, but not without taking one more look behind her to study Uncle Charlie's reasons. Inside the house drenched, she notices Evie and Charlie at the piano sharing the same stool while she tries to teach him how to play. India is not happy at the sight 
at the sight she she is seeing, but then the door shuts behind them, startling Evie. Evie tells her that that she is teaching him piano, and Charlie is a complete beginner. He tells her to put on he tells her to put on dry clothes and to come play with them, but her mother suggests that she takes a hot shower or she'll catch a coat a cold. Um, and and this is just fascinating when it comes to charlie's wording like come play with us or whatever it, yeah, it was just more it was just very odd and very sexualized but i mean he, he obviously is very expressive um when it comes to the way he speaks to india i guess Cut to the next morning, Evie is coming up to India on a hammock chair. That looks really cool, by the way. Telling her that Charlie cleared off the court yesterday. She asks if India would like to come, but she just stares at Evie. Charlie comes up and greets her, sharing that he took one of Richard's belts, then asks if Evie is ready. They set off, but we are met with a woman that uh, with flowers in her hand, Auntie Jin, ringing the doorbell. India answers it, and Gwendolyn refreshes India's memory on who she is as and asks for her a hug. She looks down at the flower. Um, instead, she looks down at the flowers. Um, and we cut to them at dinner. Evie is asking Jen, when did she get in? She tells her Evie around four. Irritated, Evie asks, when does she fly out? Jen tells her that she was going to stay a couple of days, but she is thinking that she will stay longer to spend some time with India. And um, this woman looks very familiar to me. And I was trying to pinpoint where yeah. I've seen her. She's definitely and- been in stuff that we've seen before. Without a doubt, because I, I, I recognize her too. 100%. And I was like, who's like, this? Like, she, I, I know exactly who she is. Um, she's Jackie Weaver. And, but when I first saw her, I was just like, like, wow, she looks so familiar to me. Like, I, I, I can't put my finger on how I know her oh, or where I know her okay. from. But, like, later down the line, yeah, I know her from, uh, uh, Animal Kingdom. Exactly. She's she's the she's mom the in Animal Kingdom. Yep. Yeah. And I know her very much from um uh what was that really, really bad wow. uh Lovecraftian movie? Um Bird Box. <laughs> oh uh, she was in, yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's, she was in Bird right. Box. But yeah, she's Cheryl in that in Bird Box. And so then, that's uh, a bad one. She, that's I'm pretty sure she's in the Silver Linings playbook too. Oh, is she? I've I've yeah. never seen that, but uh, the, I believe you. For the Good Night Movie Club, we did Animal Kingdom, so I've never seen that movie until this year, and I was like, that's "Yeah, right. I know her from that." That's the thing that brought right. me. I was like, oh, "Okay, that's right. She's the mom, and she played a really good character in that." So yeah, 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 she's good. Oh, she's in the Disaster Artist too. Oh, yeah, she that plays Carolyn Minot. Me apart. Uh, Minot. <laughs> tear me up all right, anyway uh, let's go ahead and keep on going um gosh where was i india looks at her and evie lets out a little chuckle sarcastically commenting on that being nice for her jen looks over to at charlie and calls his name while he sternly repeats hers back to her um and he and she's like charlie auntie jen <laughs> And he's irritated as all fuck. Like, he does not want to see her. He's not happy right. that she is there. And, oh, 
Yeah, he is not happy about that. In not even the slightest. She asks him how long has he been there? Um, and he tells her that he hasn't been here long. Evie chimes in telling her that it is nice that he uh, is taking away from his commitments in Europe to be with them. Jen, in shock, questions her about Europe, then looks at Charlie across the table. I think I would have just blurted him out right there. To be honest, like, yeah. like I get why she didn't, but I think I would have just been like, like Europe, what? No, you were in a you were in a home. Like like you how how? Right. But I mean, hey, that could have solved everything. But it's okay. It could have. It's okay. It's all right. Charlie gets up and leaves from the table. Jen asks Evie if if they could talk alone after dinner. She asks Jen about what, and Jen tells her that she wants to discuss Richard, reminding Evie who he is. Evie quickly tells her that she isn't going she isn't going to forget about him anytime soon. Jen tells her that her uh, there are arrangements and and thinks that um and things that need to be settled. Evie tells Jen, uh. She is not in the will, and Jen tells her that it isn't about the will, but about her living conditions with Charlie. And she definitely could have probably said that better, but whatever. Charlie comes back into the room at this point, and Evie shares that Jen isn't shy about sharing her opinions about her. Evie continues telling her that her opinions aren't wanted, needed, or appreciated. Jen tries to interrupt her with interrupts with her point but evie cuts her back off and directly tells her not uh to come into her home and attack her at a time like this meanwhile charlie is looking at india with a sly smile on her face from the argument that's transpiring he tells evie that jen didn't mean anything by it and reassures the question to, uh to, to auntie jen and she is telling him no she tries to extend a hand towards Evie, but she doesn't accept. Charlie, trying to break some sort of tension, asks if Evie or India would like to play something for them after dinner. In unison, they tell him, no thank you. We cut to Jen preparing to leave into a taxi with Evie and Charlie sending her off. He tells, he tells her to have a good night and not to worry about Evie, then proceeds to ask her where she is staying again. With hesitation, she tells him the Biltmore, and he heads over to the driver to tell him. While he is doing so, Jen turns to Evie and asks her if they can have breakfast tomorrow together. Just the two of them. Evie tells her that she isn't sure because she is pretty sure she will have a headache tomorrow. She's like, damn, she really does not want to hear from Auntie Jen. Just not at all. Yeah. Shade. India comes... I mean, and based off their past, it kind of makes sense. Like, right, you're just right. like, yeah, I probably like wouldn't want to fuck with you either. It's the one family member that's, like, always nagging on you. It's like, and when it really comes to, like, the moment, it's like, nah, you had your chance. I don't like your relationship with me as a person, so it's not going to work out. So. Right. Man. Well played. Cleverly like said, done. Well played. This is a great pick for this month, Prince. Good job. Thank you, thank you. I try my best. Family India trauma. comes out and asks for for Jen to stay the night um, with them. Jen is pl- is pleased at hearing this offer and is about to go in for a hug, but India swiftly moves backwards. India continues telling her that she made that she made the evening more pleasant. Her and Jen are walking towards the taxi, and she tells India good night while handing her a piece of paper, uh, telling her to call her. 
then gets into the back seat of the taxi. While they are driving off, Jen is looking back at them, and she then turns to her driver, asking if there are any more hotels in the town besides the Biltmore. We cut to her inside of a small shacky motel while she is uh, looking around the room uh, while sitting at, at the chair. This is just so well done on giving us context of how rich this family is. Like she sounds like she completely comes from money. Yeah. And sounds like she never had to work a day in her life. Not at all. She goes over to the bed to take off the bedding before. And I, I actually love how we uh, kind of set this up in a way to where something seriously wrong is, is going or something there. There's something seriously wrong with Charlie. Uh, right off the jump. And I, I initially love how that setup is, especially from the narrator on the TV. The, the TV is also on and a narrator saying, quote, even family ties have no meaning for when food is scarce. This one knows there is no room for his brother in the hut. While this sibling rivalry may seem cruel, in the end, it is for the best. Each day in the hut brings the eagle closer to maturity, end quote. So and good. Once again, another context clue of this just being a story about adolescence and maturity. Fucking love it. It's coming of age. It's coming of age story. I, I just, it's settled. Cutting to India inside of her inside of her room, reading while Charlie can be heard whistling, watching the same thing that is playing in Jen's motel room. The narrator saying, "Quote: The most patient of predators, the black ego can eagle can circle for hours." waiting for the perfect moment to strike, end quote. Jen is in the bathroom trying to wash up, but wretches at the sight of hair entangled in, on the so uh, bar of used soap. And that was so disgusting. So disgusting. It's so disgusting. India is flipping her book between a seashell and a wave faster and faster until we jump back to her being downstairs in the basement searching for, for um, ice cream, cone and scooper in hand. Jen is on the phone with the front desk asking about uh, her cell phone that she believes she believes was dropped during check-in. Meanwhile, Evie is sitting down at her vanity and Jen is still on the phone trying to get information on what number to press to dial out the motel. Someone also seems to be outside the motel during this time. She repeats the number back and hangs up the phone. And when uh, and we get this genius cut back to India being back down in the basement, turning on the light. I love that. Like as soon as she hangs up the phone, the light turns on. So good. So good. Um, the phone begins to dial out while, while we are still with India for a moment before switching back to Jen, trying to get a hold of someone, but nothing. Evie is putting on lipstick while India is opening up the freezer. Jen checking outside her, her motel room and bear with me, everybody. This is going to be a lot of bouncing right now. Um, Evie is walking to the hall with a bottle of wine and a couple of glasses in hand to meet up with Charlie. Jen is, uh, Going to the front desk of the motel, Evie opens the door to Charlie's room when Jen is buzzing on the doorbell for the clerk, and India is on the floor enjoying her chocolate and vanilla scooped ice cream. While we hear a voice over over um, Jen ringing the buzzer, and it mimicking the sound of the light going on and off. Once again, sound design, beautiful. Can't Cannot, like, chat about it more, to be completely honest. It's so great. Evie is heading up the stairs towards Charlie while Jen goes over to the payphone. Evie goes inside his room while Jen picks up the payphone. 
She heads inside, and Charlie is not inside. Jin punches in the numbers while India is still eating her ice cream, and Evie is looking into Charlie's things. The phone um, in the house is ringing, but nobody is around to answer it. Jin hears something outside and moves closer to the to the glass to get a clearer look. She notices that it is Charlie wa- uh, walking swiftly towards her. Um, and meanwhile, Evie finds the box with the yellow ribbon in his bag. India is putting putting the ice cream back in the freezer when she notices something underneath the frozen food. Charlie opens up the door to the phone booth and tells Jen that she said she was go- staying at the Biltmore, but yet. Here she is. I fucking love that. Like it's, it's super scary. <laughs> it say. is super like, creepy. Like I was just thinking about it and was just like, that's scary. Like that is so scary. Like how did he find her? That is so scary. Uh, well, I mean, we knew we know how he says how, but still, it's just like that's just really really scary on how he tracked her down. He told her that he had to call the uh, cab company while handing Jen her phone back. Evie opens the box while Charlie starts to undo his belt and Jen whippering from it releasing out of each loop. And this is a little odd to look at, but yeah, it's, a great it's also really beautiful. Yeah, it's really creepy. Like, and you hear the sound of the belt sliding through the loops. Yeah, and, you get a close and up the camera the is following oh, yeah. it coming yeah. out of the loops. And it's just, Wow. Like I said, it's a wow. shot that's not necessary, but I'm happy the director did it because it's visually stunning. And at the same time, it gives uh, the suspense of it slowly going around his waist out until he does his thing. And it's, it, yeah, it's super frightening to see it. And this is the first time we actually see him doing something bad because initially we're just suspicious. But it's like now he's like slowly just taking that off. It's like, oh, we in it. This movie is going places. <laughs> Like we Absolutely. all said, it's always a slow burn, and then here's where it starts to pick up a little bit, or at least transition Absolutely. to like the next act. Right. India moves the frozen food out of the way and shudders from McGarrick's uh, frozen corpse, and Charlie goes in for the kill. During all of this, the narrator on the TV is talking about how the prey doesn't suspect the hunter circling above and being taken completely by surprise. We cut to India at school, looking out of the window at Charlie, waiting for her to come outside. She heads down another way, is about to walk past the bullies from art class. They spot her, and while she is walking towards them, she pulls out a pencil from her book bag. Pitt um, calls out calls out to her while another one blocks her path. She turns around to walk the other way, but the rest of the boys block her path as well. Um, someone makes a joke about calling her stroker based on the rumors between her uncle and mom. She asks him, what did he say? And he mocks her then says it again. She tells Pitt to say it again. His friends instigate him and he gets out of his chair and warns her about quote unquote, little girls who mess with me, mess with him. And that's just another context of her adolescence, right? Yeah, just fucking well done. Like, like I, I, oh, I, I love the th- the theme here. She gives that looks like, oh, you think I'm a little girl, huh? And then <laughs> I'll little, fucking show yeah. you. Yeah, she goes it. She goes up to his face and acts like he is about to turn around. Then he goes in for a punch, but she takes the pencil and jams it into his fucking hand. Ugh, Dude, so do, good. Did, did you remember that? 
I, I feel like I did remember it because I remember the shot of like the blood dripping off the pencil itself. But I don't remember yeah, if it was too. from the trailer or from the movie itself because I think that's in the trailer as well. But I did remember that scene specifically. I was like, oh, this shit. But I didn't remember what happens afterwards, which is, ugh, ugh, this is disgusting. This is the one part that actually oh. got me really hard in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. I think that is in the trailer. I think about it. Yeah. Uh, Whip comes up and tells him to knock it off, then tells him that she's not interested. Pitt looks, um, Pitt's look, looks at her and accepts defeat, but not before calling her another slur, then takes off. They are all gone, and Whip tells her not to worry about him, that he's an asshole. Um, she doesn't say anything to him and starts heading off back towards the direction of her home. And it's funny because I, I even when I remember watching this movie, I completely forgot about this guy, um, Eldrick. And um, I'm blanking on his last name, but he, the dude who plays Solo. Oh, like, that's this him. is him. That's crazy. Yeah. You looked familiar. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought that was pretty wild. Like, I was just like, oh, wow, you look very different. Um, well, not really. Like, he, he just has like long just hair. Just younger and shit. self. Yeah. Yeah, um, so anyway, uh, it, it was pretty cool to see him in this movie, I guess. Um, Whip tries to stop her, but she keeps going. Uh, cut to India sharpening her bloody pencil and yes. thinking about the, the time she found McGarrick in the freezer. And the sound design here is fucking disgusting, disgusting. but I yet magnificent. I love it. <laughs> I know that's, it's, this is the one part that's like oh man that got under my skin a little bit cringy I mean, me obviously we've seen too many horror films at this point but it's just the fact that they it's a, yeah uh, see I'm like even slurring my words right now I can't even speak about this <laughs> is that it's a close up shot of it slowly going through the sharpener and you see just like the sharpened um, I don't even know what to call it uh, shavings like there the sharpened yeah, the shavings, the shavings yeah. of the pencil with just blood on it, and you just hear it being grinded against the razor, and then the shaving coming out of it, and you just hear the noise of like the blood. It, it, right, it's so good. It, yeah, it, that's why it, it's so bad. To, uh, so good. Or, yeah, to put this in context for everybody else, like it, it sounds wet. Like it sounds right. like like something is sloshing around um, when she is sharpening her pencil. It's really gross, but it's oh man, it sounds so good. Uh, she is setting the freezer, the frozen corpse, while remembering her uncle telling her to put the ice cream down into the freezer in the first place. She puts the pencil in with a group of perfectly placed sharpened pencils in a pencil box. She closes her eyes and transitions to her playing a few chords on the piano while thinking about Charlie placing the stone on uh, on a dug up ground. On the dug-up ground. Shortly afterwards, she begins playing a melodic tune while Charlie comes up next to her, complimenting her melody. He increases the tempo, in, in, enlivening the tune, sitting next to India. And she then starts to compliment his tune while staring at him. And by compliment everybody, I don't mean like she's saying this. He didn't say anything to her. They're literally just playing to add to each other's tune. And it's, it's beautiful. It is absolutely very, very well done. It's it's also very gross, and we'll explain why soon. Charlie moves behind India to play in between her what she is pl- uh, in between what she is playing, and she is and she has a moment of ecstasy from his touch, almost orgasmic until he stops playing, leaving her 
to pant softly and roughly at the same time. It is gross. Yeah, it's a weird scene. But she obviously is coming to a sense of some type of awakening, right? Yeah. Because once again, adolescence to maturity, and this goes back to the spider to me personally, um, but the adolescence to the maturity here kind of spans off of the fact of her never really probably thinking of anything sexual. And this is her first initial sexual experience. Yeah. And everyone's probably first sexual experience is probably very weird. Like, I don't know, like who knows what happens. We were all teenagers and, and have hormones and shit. There are probably some weird things that we were attracted to that we, if we could look back on, but this is just another context of her never feeling something like this before, which is probably why she's like, I know this is wrong, but she likes it. Yeah. So it's, it's like exactly what you said. It's like the first feelings of being that young or maturing to that age of being sexually active or just having those types of feelings. And you can tell like, she's very uncomfortable as well because she doesn't fully understand it. You see her across her right. legs because she's trying to like hold it in as well. Um, exactly. But yeah, it, it's definitely she's not a weird fully scene, embracing it. But at the same time, it's like you can see her transitioning to like the next level of maturity as well. Exactly. Or at least learning more about mature subjects in general. Right. And it's just weird because it's, right. it's her uncle. So it's yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's very weird. It's her uncle, and also he's older, older guy. Like, yeah. You read my like, mind. Yeah. Like even if you if you took away the uncle aspect, like it's, he's still just way, gross. way, 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 way older than her, and she just turned eighteen, like maybe a few weeks ago. Like, <laughs> like who knows? Um, he looks at her, but then is gone when she looks over. Um, while and, and this is actually a question I do have for you. Do you think he was really there, or do you think she was fantasizing about her uncle? No, I think she was. Uh, he was there because you kind of see the dirt after he leaves as well, which gives a clue that he right. was doing something in the garden, of course. Um, yeah, because I'm sure he moved from whatever was in the refrigerator, obviously to outside. Uh, but yeah, right. I think he was there just for that moment to have her almost at the peak of maybe orgasming, and then just like leaving her there with that, and just like nope, right. you don't get to. You're not an adult yet, or I'm right? Old. Exactly. Yeah. Initially, like like this, or this is a taste of adulthood. Yeah, maybe. Initially. Yeah, like and I said, it's a weird I, scene, it, but yeah, I think it is a very though. odd scene. Yeah, I do too. I do think he was there as well. Um, I just think he knows how to move swiftly, and especially since she was in this kind of orgasmic state, she didn't notice him leaving because of something happening to her body that's never happened before. So I, I feel like that's that's another context of, of us to kind of play off of, which is very fascinating. While she is lying on her bed, she is remembering her father's funeral and the spider crawling up her leg and moving into her inner thigh, which is why I think of the whole concept of that I said earlier. She hears music playing downstairs and gets up to check, check it out. What, uh, to check out what is going on below. She slowly creaks open the door, but closes it when she notices that they aren't inside the room. India moves down the hall and hears Evie speaking seductively towards, uh, towards Charlie about him staying longer than she anticipated. He draws the curtains and notices India, but doesn't acknowledge her. 
He continues his flirtation and advances towards Evie instead. They're moving across the head of the dining room table, and she leads Charlie in a dance around the room. She tells him that it doesn't matter who he is, and he tells her that he feels the same way. Evie questions him, and he tells her that he that it doesn't matter who he is to himself either. And it's just fucking beautiful of how that is added into this film. Because of, as we later find out of who he is, or initially who they are trying to block, I guess, or cure, initially should be a better term. But this is just beautiful to see what his identity is and how it in plain sight, it feels like he's hiding his identity, but instead he's actually wearing it very much on his sleeve. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I think it is just very beautiful, especially in retrospect, of how this actually flows with this film. Man. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think so, too. Yeah. That's a good scene. What What a scene. What a scene. Evie goes in for a kiss and accepts and accepts while kissing uh, excuse me Evie goes in a ki- for a kiss and he accepts while kissing her back India is no longer there while the two interlock their lips but India is actually outside peeping through the window at Charlie move his hand down Evie's bosom he uh, notices India outside but continues moving further and further until India runs away into the field and he notices her right so he's like He's not doing this for himself and or Evie. He's doing this for India. Right. Like yet another aspect of adulthood of what he's trying to show her. Um it's funny because like when I was I asked my wife because I was just like, here's a word that I don't use often, bosom. And I asked my wife, I was like, how do you spell bosom? And she was like, B-O-S-S-O-M. And I was like, I was like, no, it's saying that's wrong. She's like, why don't you just put titties? And I was like, <laughs> Oh my god! I was like, "Cause we're a professional podcast, that's why." Yeah, and then we'll explain why we put bosom instead of titties. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. That's hella funny, though. Yeah, I don't think I know how to spell bosom too. So, yeah, it's B O S O M. So that was it. But yeah, just one S instead of two. There we go. Um, excuse me. Got to India outside a diner, calling for uh, for Whip as he is about to head on. Uh head out head out on his bike um his motorcycle sorry 
she tells him that she has never been there before and he tells her friends that and he tells his friends that he will see them tomorrow. They wish him to have fun and he heads off and he heads over to India asking her if she would like to go inside, but she shakes her head. Whip asks her where would she like to go. We cut to India taking Whip past the train tracks towards a park. Whip continues at, um con- uh, Whip comments about her being a straight A stu- straight a, straight A student hanging out in the parking lot of Rocket's Diner doesn't seem like her. She seductively tells him that he wouldn't know, and he agrees. She goes over to a carousel and asks him if he uh, has ever seen fo- a photograph of himself taken without him knowing it from an angle he's never seen before. She continues, telling him that he that um. She continues telling him that it is her, and that's also her, and asks if he understands. He tells her that he thinks he does. She tells him uh, that's how she feels tonight, while running up the top of a slide. And I, I love this. I love how she is, in this moment, accepting her adulthood, her maturity. Yeah. And... And you could see, like, like for her, this is odd for her because she mentions the whole thing of a picture of yourself that you've never seen that that you didn't know was taken from an angle that you've never seen. So she's she knows that her, this has always been there for right. her, but this is her first time experiencing it, and she and sees that and recognizes herself in that exactly different exactly. angle, that different light. And I have to say, this right. scene is beautifully shot too. Of how what she's doing, like it really she's spinning is. around, and she just keeps on turning her head so it doesn't look yeah. away from the camera, which is like ugh, right, so good, so good. And and I think this is all one shot too. Yeah, well, there's like it's just, one continuous shot of her close up switching her head every time she spins around to look at the camera, and then it pans out and then it shows her, and it's like the over shoulder shot of the guy. Looking at her on there, still turning her head every time she turns around, where it's like, it should be her back to us. But no, she faces us the entire time. So she's facing the situation all the time and not putting her back to it, where she used to like run away or not be touched. And he even asked like, oh, does that mean that you like to be touched now? And she's like, I don't want to, don't, don't ruin this. Don't spoil this moment. Yeah, don't spoil this moment. So good. Yeah. Whip asks if she is not afraid of being touched anymore, and she tells him not to spoil the moment. And I, and and just like you said, Freddie, that whole thing just transpires per- beautifully, actually, with um her insight of what she's starting to kind of come out of her shell a little bit more. She runs down the slide and into the darkness of the forest with Whip running closely behind. And I absolutely love this too, actually, um, of her running, de- choosing to run down the slide, yeah, choosing not to sit on the carousel. Um, not only dangerous, but mature because a child slides down a slide. A child sits on a carousel and turns themselves. That, like These are things that someone would do in their adolescence. And these are all very adolescent things that they're surrounded by. They're surrounded by a playground where right. child children go. Yeah. Um, so the, her choosing to run down the slide kind of shows that sense of like her being mature. Um, but also, like you said, that, that in, in sense of uh, endangerment as well, which is also very beautiful. 
They end up by a tree kissing, and she is forcing him to touch her breast until she bites his lip, drawing blood. He shows her what he shows her with a smile and comments on 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 every everyone calling her crazy, but they have no idea while trying to force his position back on her. And this this moment of where she bites him is kind of a realization of like, what the fuck am I doing? And that kind of uh, reverts her back to be closed off again. Right. Um, and she's not no longer ready. Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, no, my bad. It's like, she doesn't know. She's trying to like accept her, who she is as a person and growing up and being yeah, more she's trying mature. to embrace it. But mm-hmm. she does, like you said, she doesn't know what she's doing. And right. at that moment, she's like, wait, I, I'm not ready yet. I'm trying to go too fast on this. I'm going right. too fast. So she takes that step right. back, which is great. And it kind of feels like for her, something's missing, right? Like it feels like something, something is, is misplaced in this situation. And obviously she's fantasizing at this moment about her uncle Charlie. But the thing is, even with that, uh, that fantasy that she's having with, uh, with her uncle, she also has this moment of where that also feels wrong to her. That's the wrong fantasy that she she doesn't want that fantasy. She doesn't want to have sex with her uncle. Um, and it, and we'll learn a little bit more as as we go a little bit deeper here. India no longer wants to be there and is telling him that she wants to go home while he is still trying to force himself onto her. She tells him to let her go and he is forcibly and he forcibly tells her that she opened this door and now she needs to walk through it. India punches him in the face and tries to walk off. He grabs her and punches her in the stomach, causing her to fall to the ground, and she screams. Whip shushes her, and she doesn't scream like, like, scream, help me. It's like a scream of anger. Like, you motherfucker. Like, I'm, I'm gonna kill you. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, you punch me in the stomach. Like, she, she's not screaming like, someone help me scream. It's like a, like a very angry scream. Right. Whips shushes her while undoing his belt, but her uncle is walking behind her, behind him, t- uh, taking off his. Charlie wraps it around Whip and throws him to the ground, hog tying him. And he throws him to the ground pretty hard. Like, he, like, damn near hits his face. He looks up at India, telling her that he is glad that he brought her her dad's belt. That then saying that he is all hers when Charlie is done tying him up. Whip is trying to tell him that he is seriously hurt, and Charlie tells him to shut up. While India looks looks at him on the ground, she goes over to him and starts kicking him repeatedly until Whip tells her to stop. Um, she looks over to Charlie. And he is grinning at her accomplishment. They walk back to, to uh, his car and he drives them home. India goes into the bath, puts a clean towel um, on the ground, takes off her clothes while examining herself in the mirror. She is taking a shower and starts to sob while she is completing um, while she's completing the memory of what happened to Whip in the woods. Whip grabbed India's foot, causing her to fall to the ground. He goes on top of her, strangling her. Charlie comes up behind him with the belt and starts choking him on top of India until his neck snaps, dropping the body onto India. He slides Whip's body off of her and walks him to his car, putting him in the trunk, driving back home. Once there, Charlie is digging up a grave for Whip, and India tries calling her Aunt Jen. The phone is ringing. 
screaming, and she is looking back, but hears a faint ringtone underneath her. She moves her head closer to the ground, and it is Aunt Jen's phone that is buried underneath. Charlie hands her the shovel, and she covers up the grave while he moves the large, large boulder on top of it. Back inside the, sh- the shower, India turns her cries into moans while she- when she starts to touch herself in remembrance of the killing of Whip until she orgasms. Now, that is what she wanted. <laughs> I guess. It yeah. is. Now, this is interesting. This is a very interesting scene. Yeah, there's and a lot. What, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, very much so. Now, her realizing, not only realizing that officially, uh, holy shit, my uncle is a serial killer, but also having this awakening inside of her of that she accepts it and she kind of is into it. Oh, for sure. Now, so much so that she is aroused by by this and that is something that is for for her context uh mature and once again something she's never done before she's never done this and she she found this sense of maturity within this moment which it's a it's a, a gross but still yeah. This is what she found to to, to uh, be an awakening for her. Yeah, the killing definitely broke her innocence. That was the last wall that right. she had up, I guess. Well, and well, she has one more as we as true. we come come to know a little bit later. But uh, it, this shows her uh, a sense of um, uh, uh, another step to her maturity. Right, and, and that's the whole like concept of her like taking a shower and being completely filthy too. It's kind of like washing herself clean from that moment as well of just literally the dirtiness of her being on the ground, but also the dirtiness of the kill. And you kind of see the transition of like crying, which was giving purity, but also then giving orgasm, which is like almost not, not the opposite, but there's different emotions that goes through her within just that shower scene itself. And it's getting that filthiness off her and then really transitioning something that's, really disgusting, dark and muddy and stuff all over her to something that she becomes clean and finds loving and caring and orgasmic in a way, which is like, damn, wow, that's a lot. Holy crap. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the fact that she even starts off dirty and goes into a, a spectrum of her getting clean or cleansed, um, this is her cleansing, and and granted, oh, yes, this sure. is very morbid to think about. But this is this is a very common trait from serial killers. Serial killers initially perform serial killings because they find it arousing. It arouses them. It's the only way that they can some of them um, that they can get some sense of sexual pleasure out of it. And for her, she's never found anything attractive until right now. And that's that's the portion of where it's awakening. She was never attracted to Whip. She was attracted to the sensation of his lifeless body initially and seeing him die and accepting the fact that death just surrounds her now. Very fascinating. And you see that in her eyes. When he dies, her eyes light up, like become huge. It's like, damn, she just realized something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
the contacts that they use for her eyes are also very pretty. Like they're like I've never seen contacts like that where they're like bluish to green. Yeah, but yet sometimes they look just like contacts, and other times you're just like, wow, her, that that really looks like her eyes. But I think Mia Wachowski has um uh brown eyes, if I'm not mistaken. But Interesting. whatever. Besides the point, doesn't matter. Transition to Evie in her room, getting a knock on the door from India asking to come inside. She comes in, sits down, and asks her mother if she would brush her hair. Once again, her feeling that sense of of, of the orgasm. And, and like you said, Freddie, like, I don't think she completely accepts it yet, which is probably why she asked her mom to do her hair to gain that innocence back. Um. So, yet, Obviously, her mom tells her no, but still, I feel like that's what that that whole portion was supposed to be, was her to gain her innocence back, but she didn't. Evie tells her that uh, that she was just about to go to bed, and India tells her that she will brush her hair instead. So she just initially just accepts, like, I'll do the mature thing, I'll take the higher road, and I'll just do your hair instead. While brushing her mother's hair, Evie comments on her wearing the nightgown that she bought India. India, with a smirk, tells her that she felt like wearing silk tonight. Evie shows that, uh, says that now that she is thinking about it, she never brushed India's hair. India tells her that she was too busy, and Evie asks her, with what? And this is that bonding moment that um, initially... Evie has always wanted with her daughter. India tells her that she doesn't know. Evie tells her that it was um, hard to compete with Richard and her always on their hunting trips, bringing back dead birds. Um, India hears music coming from, from the headphones, but when Evie looks at it, it abruptly stops, which I thought was clever and interesting at the same time. Right. I, like, I, don't, I don't think I truly understand that, but... Or, or you know what? Actually, I do understand that because um, you you actually said it beautifully earlier, uh, where she's so in tune to her surroundings that um, India can hear it, but Evie can't. So I, I I think that's initially what it is. It's just um, Evie's not as in tune to her surroundings like India is. Oh, for sure. So yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that was just another another uh, clue as to what her character is. India remembers seeing her mom with Charlie um, earlier, and she shares that she saw uh, that she saw her in the dining room. Evie tells India that she doesn't know what she thinks she saw, and she is uh, she was so still that she didn't even know she was there. Once again, letting us know her character. India tells her that her dad taught her that hunting. Fucking love that, love that. We transition from India combing Evie's hair. To the grass blowing in the wind of a flashback. Fucking wow. Yeah. Wow. This was a very smooth transition. It looked so good. It was beautiful. <laughs> Damn, it looked good. Like, it, like when it first happened, I had to rewind it because I did not. I just was like, shit. I definitely watched this in a time where I did not appreciate film. Exactly. Because like, I, I feel the same way. I don't. I don't remember things like this. Uh, all I remembered from this movie in particular was the ending and also uh, the score. That's all I truly remember from this film. But hey, it is what it is. India tells her to wait in silence and that they wouldn't need food or drinks. Um, they would watch everything. 
She continues about the patterns of the tree branches, thousands of shapes from the clouds, and that she could count the number of leaves on a tree for five hours. India is hyper aware of her surroundings, noticing a dune bug, then focusing her attention back on the bird in the distance. She continues telling her mom that she always thought that her dad liked hunting, but she realized that he did it for her. He used to say, quote, sometimes you need to do something bad to stop you from doing something worse, end quote. And I think he tells her this because he saw the resemblance of Charlie inside of her. Hmm. And I think he was initially trying to pump her with this to get that out so she doesn't do something that Charlie initially did. I can see that. The birds, the birds start squawking and flies into the air while India hands... Uh, while India's finger is on the trigger, but she is snapped out of the flashback when Evie grabs her wrist, startling her. Evie tells her that tomorrow she is going to go to the hairdresser after she cleans out Richard's study. Next day, India's uh, India's in Richard's study, taking the things that she wants from it. She's going around and tries to open a drawer that needs a key. She realizes that she actually has the key, or excuse me, she gives up for a moment, but then realizes that she has the key around her neck. She opens the drawer, takes out a pistol and a box. India opens the box, and there are uh, there are childhood photos of Richard and his siblings. She flips to the back of the photo, and it reads, quote, Richard, 17, Charlie, 8, Jonathan, 2, my three little monsters in a rare, quiet moment, 1988, end quote. India continues looking at the photo, and, and a bunch of cutout photos of a blonde-haired child falls to the floor. She picks, picks them up and continues further, noticing a young McGarrick in one of the photos. She turns to the back of another, of another with Richard and Charlie sitting on, on some steps in 1989 without Jonathan. India goes back to uh, back into the drawer and notices a bunch of letters addressed to her from Clayton County. She immediately draws the blinds to read the letters. It reads in Charlie's voice, quote, Dear India, happy birthday. You are five years old. To, you are five years old today. I wish I could be there for your party, but your uncle is far away in Africa taking pictures for a magazine. Another reads. Dearest India, I'm writing this letter for you from Florence. Yesterday, I circled uh, Michelangelo's David for hours. He carries a sling. Another reads in India's voice this time, his belted weapon over his shoulder, switching back to Charlie. You are my dearest and only niece, back to India, my silent and invisible partner, Charlie. There are lessons for you, for you in, in our many chapters together. India, dear India. Charlie, happy birthday again. I know I've, I've missed your first teeth coming out, India, and that I'll never uh, see the little holes in your smile or how you will fill, fill in as you mature into a young lady. Uh, she continues reading the letters and begins to shed a tear as they both say, please know that I am with you as we share the same blood. Trailing off to Charlie, tonight, I'll fall asleep as I try to imagine that you'll grow up and take over our name. How I want to meet you. All my love, Charlie. She undoes her hair while clicking the light off. Now, a lot to unpack here. I mean, Charlie obviously had a fascination to the point of where it was toxic oh, for sure. towards her. And... This is this is something that very much goes for like people who have psychotic breaks or uh, who are 
in some type of uh, mental ward or something like that to get some psychiatric help where finding out like, for example, and this is me getting a little bit personal, but uh, like my brother initially has schizophrenia, as I mentioned multiple times on the show before, but um, his schizophrenia is something that initially has me uh, keeping that relationship very, very limited with him and my daughter. So like this hit pretty close to home for me because I am kind of in the same boat. Like my brother has never done anything like this uh, and he hasn't reached out either. But at the same time, that is a little bit in the back of my head, a fear of mine uh, mainly because of that. And this movie initially kind of unsurfaced that again for myself. Yeah. So it, definitely is a very very interesting take but man i love how this is done i really love how this is done because it's it's almost hundreds of letters that she has here yes there's a bunch every holiday every moment right about like oh i know you don't write back but i can see your reflection in the stars and stuff like that and they do a really good mm-hmm. job of editing all of the writing styles and how he words stuff. Oh, yeah, and it's beautiful. Going through the letters and how well written it is. It just shows a real, like, obsession with her. And granted, he's right. never really met her in a way because he hasn't. No, he's never he's met her ever. He's been there the entire time. And we don't learn that until yeah. later on. But it's it's quite fascinating to see his mindset talking about someone so passionately to someone he doesn't even know. Yeah, someone he's like, never even seen. Yeah. That's like crazy. all he knows of India is her name. He's never even seen a picture of India. Yeah, her name and her age. That's it. That's it. Because he followed so closely. Interesting. India is headed upstairs, but stops when she drops a few letters on her way up. She goes to pick them up and notices the back of the envelope. Uh, and it says, quote unquote, Crawford Institute. She drops the envelope to check the others, dropping them onto the step while we flash back and forth from envelope to letter. Cut to India on the phone calling the non-emergency sheriff's number, but notices Charlie outside walking with a ladder. Excuse me. He comes up to the window with guarded shears, snipping them while the operator asks how can uh, she how can she help her? India doesn't say anything, and they hang up. Charlie comes into the house, and India stops him to tell him that her father uh, had the exact same sunglasses. He notices his bag on the step, but doesn't say anything. So India continues telling him that her father wore them while driving, so they were always in the glove compartment. And she supposed that they are, uh, and that she supposed that they are all melted up with the rest of the car. Charlie takes off his glasses with a slight smile looking at her. India tells her, tells him to please leave before her mother wakes up. Charlie asks her if, he, if she is curious about what happened to Richard. India looks at him and tells him that she is more curious about what happened to Jonathan. Charlie's smile drops, and we jump into a flashback of a little boy going up the backyard stairs. He tells, he, uh, tells her that... it. it he tells that's an inseparable part of what happened to Richard. Quote, Richard was completely taken with Jonathan. That summer, Jonathan had just learned how to climb stairs. He couldn't resist climbing any staircase he came across. 
end quote. The quick the camera quickly pans to Charlie looking at them through a window and then shifts to a young Charlie with the water gun in his back waistband, holding a play shovel and bucket headed outside. Charlie built a sandcastle, looks, looks over towards Richard raking leaves. Young Charlie takes Jonathan up to the slide and allows him to slide down alone, falling into a great hole that he dug. Jonathan starts to cry. And this is actually morbid, but this is very fucking well done. Because the, the he built that sandcastle in order to block the view of his brother. Right. Yeah. Like, like he uh, intentionally knew what he was doing. Yeah, it was a very it was smart, completely plotted. Disgusting way. Yeah. Yeah, it's very dark. And very dark. And the way that even if you retroactively think of how Jonathan died, like, damn. Yeah. It's definitely not that pleasant. must be a brutal way to go. Jonathan starts to cry, but they are drowned out by the start of a lawnmower while Charlie looks down at him. Cut to Charlie in the base in the back seat of the car with a with a man in the white scrubs uh, type garb, Charlie holds up the toy gun to the person driving and the other man takes it out of his hand. Charlie has continued to uh, be distracted by the sound of buzzing following the car. Cut to Richard going to, the Cro- to Crawford to visit Charlie. Dr. Jacquin tells him that it has been 20 years since his family donated the building to Crawford. She tells him that it may look old, but Charlie's room is still very comfortable. Charlie is in his room playing the piano with one hand while maniacally looking into a corner. Jacquin continues, saying that he was uh, he was the one that wanted to stay there. He was the one that wanted to stay there, and he insisted on uh, being discharged on this day. They open the door, Charlie staring at Richard with a smile, welcoming him into his home away from home. Richard uh, takes a slight step back, staring at his brother. Charlie says something in French to Jacquin, and she uh, is about to give him a hug, but he slightly cringes, stepping backward. He looks at Richard and goes in to give her a hug while continuing his gaze at Richard. Richard is, uh, and I, I actually want to chat about this really quick here. Yeah. Um, now we we know India with, with her condition of also not liking to be touched. This is why I think that Richard saw this very early on in mm. her being very much like uh, Charlie, and okay. yeah. that concerned him a hundred percent. And that's why he took her on hunting trips to keep herself focused and doing bad things keeping her away from doing horrible things as they say which exactly is, yeah I, i'm pretty sure that her father saw a little bit of her brother and her his own daughter which obviously there's a lot in common and i don't know maybe Absolutely. they had a conversation and that's what made charlie obsessed with her and try to make her exactly like him and that's the whole plan of this movie i'm not 100 sure mm-hmm. that's just one of my theories but yeah, that's very interesting. So I think how I think of it as I think Richard had very limited conversation with him because of when he ends up at this location in Crawford Institute, like the, the Dr. Jacquin right. kind of saying that it's been 20 years since they donated it. Um, and that kind of gives us a sense of time as well that uh, Charlie is 38 Right, because he went in there when he was eight, or maybe thirty-nine. Um, so, 
Uh, where? No, that can't be right. He would be, almost be 30 then. Right. I guess. Um, so, so I guess in a way he's not that far off in India's age, but still it's gross because he's her uncle. But anyway, uh, Richard is driving Charlie into in the rain while Charlie can't take his eyes off of him. They stop in front of the green car and Richard mentions it always, uh, Rich mentions it always being his favorite car, then places the keys on the dashboard. He tells Charlie that he thinks he is going to love New York and that he got him his own apartment. Confused, Charlie asks, um, if they are going to his house while tears are getting ready to sting his eyes. Richard ignores the question and Charlie asks again, but he tries handing him a folder with all the information inside. Charlie asks if he is going to see if he's going to see India and Richard ignoring him, telling him these are the keys to the car. We uh, get a slight flashback of the psychiatric nurse releasing his seatbelt while he is doing the same uh uh, speaking to Richard, Charlie um, asks why is he doing this to him, and Richard tells him that he doesn't want him to t- uh, that he doesn't want to have him. Uh, excuse me. Charlie asks why is he doing this to him, and Richard tells him that he doesn't want to have to tell him something that he already knows. And um, and I even put here that that shit hits pretty hard for me too. Charlie asks him why can't he go and Richard looks at him with tears in his eyes. He ignores it, putting it on his shades and tells him to listen carefully and that um, this is the most important thing. He is telling him um, if anything happens, he must call, but uh, his, but is cut off by Charlie telling him that Richard still loves him. Richard tells him, of course he loves him, but he has a love. He has to love him a little less because he, uh, he can't have him. We cut. Uh, we cut back to present. Uh, present Charlie walking up the stairs towards India, completing Richard's sentence. Near my India, my family. Charlie responds. Um, Charlie's response is that he is his family, and what kind of family is family uh, that you can't take home? So it was actually his saying versus uh, Richard's. Charlie gets out of the car, flashback of him being pulled out of the car from the nurse and another Richard mowing the lawn. Childhood flashback, um, childhood flashback, Richard leaves the, the running, running mower to run over to Charlie, uh, towards Charlie. Charlie and Richard flashback now, uh, cause we're still kind of stuck in between flashback and flashback. So bear with me on that one too, folks. Uh, Charlie getting out of the car throws up into a pond, but gets uh, but gets back into the car. Richard asks if ask him if he's okay, and with a sense of something completely released, he sternly tells him that he is fine now. Now this is where my theory comes in place. All right. Now with my theory, I think um, when. He was at that psychiatric ward and so on and so forth. Yes, he, he obsessed over um, India, but he was also stuck in his adolescence during this time. I think him throwing up got rid of that adolescence and he matured right in that moment. Yeah. Okay. I that's can see that. What, that's how I initially pictured it. Instead of him uh, kind of having this sense of orgasm, because he, in a way, kind of had that already when he killed his brother, Jonathan. Now, with that, with that slang, that's where I feel like this is a really important piece of how he acts and carries himself now. 
because he is very suave and he is not forced with uh, his movement and and so on and so forth. Like he likes he he touches people, right? Like he's not afraid to touch people anymore. And that's how I feel like his sense of maturity kind of came into play. So super interesting. Back to a childhood flashback. Richard runs over to where Jonathan was and Charlie is is making sand angels onto uh, his little brother's Damn. early grave site. So dark. Yet super dark. But yeah, we, we get that with India earlier. Her doing that on her bed. Right. Oh, yeah. Just holding on Good to that adolescence. Call out. Yeah. Charlie and Richard flashback. Uh, Charlie starts bashing in Richard's face with a rock from the pond as the blood imaginarily splatters on India's face. Childhood flashback. Richard pushes Charlie out of the way while trying to dig up Jonathan. Charlie and Richard flashback. Charlie repeats the same thing that Richard says to him back to Richard while holding the rock, putting on his shades. Damn. We cut back to the present with India slapping him. India and Richard flashback now. India thinks uh, back of her, on her hunting a bird with her father and asks Charlie, why now? Why come back now? Charlie asks her if, he, if she remembers the day that he left Crawford, her father's accident. She tells him she does. He asks, uh, he asks her what day was it? And she tells him that it was her 18th birthday. Just giving us now officially the full clue of, okay, of she's everything. 18. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. He tells her that he, uh, he was waiting for her. Everything that he has done, he did it for her. Charlie comes up onto the top step, taking the box out of his bag and placing it um, by her feet, opening it. He takes out, uh, takes out a high heel and starts to undo her Oxford. Meanwhile, we are cutting back and forth for, uh, to her hunting with her father. Charlie takes her foot out of the shoe and he places them into the heel. She slightly loses her balance, um, and she's actually kind of uh, getting excited. Right from this moment too, it's like her, she's just starting to kind of pant yeah. a little bit, and it's once again it's that adolescence leaving and that maturity right. starting to fill her up again. It's like a graduation day; it's her ceremony into right. womanhood in a way. Absolutely, he gets up and wishes her a happy birthday while moving in closer, but they're interrupted by the sound of a doorbell ringing from the sheriff. Cut to India speaking to the sheriff about the last time she saw Whip. She is really playing this thing up by uh, complimenting Whip, while her uncle listens and is quite impressed by her skillful lying to protect them both. The sheriff asks her what time... um, what time was it when she got home? Uh, but she claims that she doesn't remember. So he asked her, what time did she eat fries? She is starting to stammer a little bit. And Charlie comes over to tell the sheriff that uh, it was 830 when she came home at that um, and that a program was playing on PBS. India picks up where he left off telling the sheriff that her uncle was watching TV and she got home. So she started uh, watching it with him. The sheriff tells her, tells them one moment for uh, clarification for the program that was on. She plays it up a bit more, hoping that whip is okay. He tells her uh, that, uh, that his folks are, are a mess right now, but thinks he will turn up. She asks, she asks him if um, she asks that he will let her know if he does turn up and he agrees to do so, then leaves. But he comes back to ask about their housekeeper 
ever getting in touch with them after leaving town so quickly. India tells him no. The sheriff ends with the strange, uh, with uh, strange that people can just disappear on you. They head into the, they head to the window to watch the sheriff leave, and Charlie tells her that they will be ba- that he will be back. She asks him what are they going to do, and he thinks and he thinks they will really love New York. <laughs> she looks up at him and asks him when do they leave. Um, he is about to go. He is about to. Uh, I think I wrote that wrong. He is about to go to touch her face, but they uh, hear a creak from above. Evie, standing on top of the banister, looking down at them in shock, noticing the shoes on her feet, as she thought the shoes were uh, for her prior. India is at first stunned, but her mother being there, um, by her mother being there, but her face turns into a slight scowl, while Charlie's face is grinning. Evie uh, Evie tells them that she is sorry and goes back into her room, closing the door. India looks back at him, but he doesn't take his eyes off of the, that area and tells her, quote unquote, tomorrow night. Cut to Evie burning all of Richard's stuff outside, including the birds that India killed. She takes off the robe that she is wearing, smells it one last time before throwing it into the inferno. She is taking a shower, then frantically heads downstairs while Charlie and India are playing the piano. And... I actually love how this looks like everything just is like she's moving very quickly, but yet everything is extremely legible. Like you can tell that like India and um, Charlie are sitting at the piano and you can even tell that Charlie's looking back at her uh, when she passes the door. So everything is legible. Not And that's what I really, really like about this scene. Right, it's subtle, but at the same time, it's not subtle. It's like, oh yeah, we're gonna quickly pass all of this, but at the same time, you can mm-hmm. quickly see everything that's going on as well. And I have to say too, with, uh, the cinematography and like um, the lighting design of when the fire was going on too. I was like, man, this looks really, really good. beautiful. It's very cinematic. Beautiful. It's like you can pause it and make a poster out of it. So I was like, that's cool. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Evie is in a blue dress heading off. We cut to Evie sitting at the dining room table and the music frantically stopping. You could hear Charlie asking Anya if they should if she if they should do it again, but she tells him that she is hungry and he agrees to them eating first. The door slides open and Evie begins to speak. Quote, and I fucking love this right off the bat, everybody. Just just a little heads up. I love this. But quote, you know, I've often wondered why it was we have children in the first place. And the conclusion I come to is at some point in our lives, we realize things are, they're screwed up beyond repair. So we decide to start again, wipe the slate clean, start afresh, and we have children. Little carbon copies we can turn to and say, you will do what I could not. You would succeed where I failed. Because we want someone to get it right this time, but not me. Personally speaking, I can't wait to watch your life tear apart. India, who are you? You were supposed to love me, weren't you? Damn. And I even put here the sheer emotion from Nicole Kidman in the scene is just magnificent. Yeah. And you really just wonder, like, how is she such a chillingly good actress? It's so good. Damn. The way she delivers the lines, it's, it, it's haunting. And it's so, like... It is cold in a way and very morbid and very real. It's like, damn, there's a lot of like to unpack there. And what she says, her monologue is like, 
okay, maybe in some eyes, a lot of people do see that too, because a lot of people do believe like, oh, or there's a lot of people who are like parents who treat their kids as their, their clean slate of like, yes, you're going to succeed in everything I do and kind of live through their kids, which is very interesting. So it's a right. crazy concept. Yeah. It is. And and I and I I'm even a little bit at fault at that too because I grew up without a dad. And like for, for this was more so for me towards Ellie, but uh me growing up without a dad made me like promise her initially as soon as she was born the first thing I said to my daughter was I will never leave you. Yeah. And that is a kind of like a, a jab at my father, but it's very interesting when you see things like this. And, and I, 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 I think I really enjoy this movie because now I have a child to really truly understand it. Um, and it's, it's so, it's so fascinating, like seeing these films now from a perspective of as a parent. And, um, it, it makes me, it, it makes me excited. It makes me very excited. India is standing in the doorway while Charlie is sitting at the piano stool. And once again, this shot just looks gorgeous. Gorgeous. Evie gets up from the table, walks past Charlie, telling him to come up to her room and that, and that she enjoyed their performance. Charlie tells India to go pack a small bag. They'll be leaving shortly while getting up to head upstairs, whistling that tune all the way up to Evie's room. Upstairs, he goes into Evie's room, but not the door she's actually at. He goes into another door that is closed and meets her on the other side. And I just love this. It, it, it's just so well done that it's so odd. Yeah. It, actually. It, it's a weird room design in general. It's two doors that right. lead to the same place, but they're two separate rooms that are interconnected. It's kind of like those, uh, exactly combined hotel rooms where you open the door in between and you see right. the other room, but you have the two front doors right. open and you see both sides of the same room. Very interesting Absolutely. house design in general, but it makes for a really good shot too as well. So It does. Absolutely. Um, she tells him that she can't allow him to do this and he asks her why not. Evie closes her door to tell him that uh, there are little things that one notices along the way but suppresses because – but she can't finish it. And Charlie questions. She asks she ask him why does he uh, – why does he think – or what does he think – or excuse me, why does he think? And he answers with love. She tells him that Richard loved India and that he never he's never driven so far on her birthday before, not unless for some reason. Meanwhile, we are jumping from the flashback of Charlie grabbing the murder rock. <laughs> she adds uh, she adds that Jen wanted to speak to her about him, but mentions that she never did come back that night. Charlie tells her that uh, people disappear all the time. While walking closer towards her, Evie, frightened, starts walking backwards, telling him that, uh, telling him to have her instead and stay away from her daughter. Charlie tells her that she is of age, and Evie questions that age of what. He tells her to live in this house on her own while her mother travels the world. And once again, that sense of maturity, that sense of not needing your child, or, or excuse me, not needing your mom. She asks him what what is he suggesting, and he slowly caresses her neck, then her hand, asking her to come with him. He lightly kisses her 
while she undoes his belt. Meanwhile, India is downstairs going through a bag. Charlie flips Evie over and begins to choke her with his signature belt from his brother. He calls for India to come upstairs to witness what he is doing. She makes it upstairs, pulls out a hunting rifle, cocks the gun, thinks about her hunting trip with her dad, shoots the bird, and in return, the bullet flying through the window, blood splattering all over the wall, slowly creeping down towards the floorboards. She goes into her mother's room, checking on her now-deceased uncle. She put her cheek to, to his, getting his blood over her face. She looks at her mother, and her mother shares a face of pure terror while staring at her daughter, realizing that her daughter is just like Charlie. <laughs> What a scene. Damn, dude. What a scene. What a scene. And now, I want to chat about this scene a little bit yeah, further. I'm down. Where I do think that this was initially Charlie's intentions all along. I think so, too. I do know that, like, I, I, I do think that Charlie expected her and him to go away together. But I do think that eventually he believed that she was going to kill him. And that was going to be her sense of maturity and growth and shell and coming out of her shell. But I, I thoroughly believe that this was a part of his plan all along. I have to say so too. Uh, it was definitely like grooming her to be in this moment to have that first kill. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think the right. same thing too. Is like I think they or he thought they're going to be together and go to New York and hang out. And I think he wanted to be there for the first kill for her. And, right, I think he wanted to teach her. Right, and I think he's like, well, it looks like it's going to be me. And it's like, uh, self, right. uh, knowing, he's like, oh, okay, if it's going to be me, that's fine, but I got her to It was that acceptance. Point. I got her there. Exactly. She has her degree in killing, basically. Like, right. she graduated. Because cause I, I don't believe that, you know what, now that I think about it, I think this was just his plan all along. I don't think he ever meant to go to New York with her. Because I, I do thoroughly believe he was never truly going to kill um, Evie unless India didn't come upstairs. Because he tells her that he wants her to see it, right. but she already saw him kill somebody. So she technically did not have to witness that. I think he wanted her to see it to initially push her over the edge to kill him. That's true. So I think yeah, that I think true. initially that was his plan all along. I don't think he was trying to go to New York with her. Now that I think about it, because hmm. retroactively thinking about it, this this makes it make a little bit more sense as to his ideology behind maturity. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. Cut to morning. The shot of the bullet hole through the window, trailing, uh, trailing down to the blood, uh, the dried blood, um, and outside to the boulders where flowers planted in front of them. India puts something in the trunk of her uncle's car. She sees the shears on the seat and throws her bag on top of them, starting the engine, waking her mother upstairs. Waking her mother up upstairs. Her mother is lying there, and the camera is cutting to India's room with all the shoes surrounding it and the front door wide open with the blood trailing out of it. India is speeding in the green car while a cop car is tailing her. She stops and the sheriff gets out of the car, uh, gets out um, of their, uh, excuse me. She stops and the sheriff gets out of his car 
and um, starts walking up towards hers. Uh, he asks her if she is in a hurry and he, if she knows how fast she was going. She tells him that she is going um, effectively fast with a little smirk. She tells him this in, in kind of like an, in French at first and then, uh, or not even in French, but in a saying at first. And then she kind of tells her words. Um, he yeah. takes off his shades and I love how like her, she's in his shades too. Like it's like filmed and we can see her through his shades and she is oozing with confidence now. Right? Like yeah. she looks older. She doesn't look 18 at all. She became like, Charlie. She's just like, right. She became Charlie. Yeah. Charismatic, yeah. charming, but, very confident. He, yeah, she fully transitioned. Absolutely. He takes off his shades and asks her effective for what? She tells him to get his attention. The camera is far out, but we can see her stab the sheriff in the neck with the shears. He is writhing in pain, walking across the highway, holding his neck while she gets out of the car to check on him. Just like in the earlier shot of the film, she is wearing her dad's belt with the skirt. The sheriff is crawling away in the field, spritzing blood everywhere. Instead of chasing him, she grabs her rifle, looks through the scope to see the blood spurt on the botanical surrounding. Then, credits. Mm. Oof. Fuck. Yeah, pretty solid what a film. Movie. What a movie. Yeah. It, like, like, honestly, retroactively thinking about it now after I'm talking about it, I love this movie. I like it a I lot more love like, discussing it this now. movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, it, like it's one of those things where I think we we had a conversation. Uh, actually, no, we didn't have this conversation. I, I was thinking about this when you guys were uh, uh, doing your recordings and you guys were talking about um, Sinister oh, okay. and yeah. how, how you how you guys said, like, this isn't a bad movie, but it's a really fun movie to talk about. Exactly. Um, so and, and I think we we had the same thing with us as well, where I said that. Initially, I like talking about us rather than watching us. Um, but I mean, it's kind of in the in a way the same concept there. Uh, but man, what a movie! I love this movie so much. But I got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts. While she is eager to work with director Ch- uh, Chan Wook Park, Nicole Kidman originally turned down her part because she <gasps> wished to spend time with her kids and oh, husband. Okay. However, director Park was so eager to have her play the part of Evelyn that he chose to place the setting in Nashville near her residence. The house used in the film is placed five minutes away from Nicole Kidman's ho- home, which allowed her to begin filming just a week after uh, wrapping a film called The Paperboy. Wow. Nice. Must be nice. Probably a good neighborhood. Must be nice. Yeah. All of India's outfits are symmetrical, while Evie's are asymmetrical. Ooh, I like that. That's pretty cool. That's dope. That's pretty cool. Chan Wook Park appreciated Mia Was- Wasikowska's? I think it's Wa- Wasikowska. Let me God look at this Mia. Name. I, I I need the pronunciation of that of her name. Like I I'm so terrible with with uh, kind of Russian names, uh, but uh, appreciated Mia former ballet training as it ensured she uh, slotted perfectly into the and 
to the cool, linear imagery of the film. Mia's posture, her stillness and straightness speaks to the personality of a character who likes everything ordered around her. I like that. I'm going to try this out. I like that too. Mia Wasikowska. That sounds like you nailed it. Yeah, Wasikowska. Yeah. That sounds like you nailed it to me. Maybe. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, let's get a let's get a good one. Let's get a fucking good one. Mia Wachowska's um favorite scene to shoot was the piano duet between her and Matthew Good. Damn, I'm I'm sure that was a fantastic scene to shoot. Yeah, do you know if they like actually learned how to play the piano for that? I don't. Because damn, they were really really fucking good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Here's an interesting one. The film's three lead actresses, uh, Mia, Mia, Nicole, and Jackie, are all Australian in real life. However, mm. all they all use American accents in the film. Makes sense. They're pretty damn good accents, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. Matthew Good's boyhood crush was his co-star in this film, Nicole Kidman. Quote, I had this vision of myself when I was seven years old watching Nicole when she was like 14 or 15 in BMX Bandits, one of the oh. one of her earliest films. Yeah. And I was like, if you if you told that seven year old that he would be locking lips with that actress on screen, he would never have believed it. <laughs> Dreams come true. Man. Dreams come true. Uh Let's see. Let's let's get a let's get a juicy one. We'll do a couple more. Um, here, let's get one that's slightly a part of the spoilery stuff. Initially, India was to wear shoes with leopard print in order to uh, be representative of a predator. The production was unable to find such a pair and considered snake print before they discovered crocodile um, heels. Okay. Fuck yeah, I, I didn't like even that. I didn't even trip off of because that because that's kind of how I felt. How she is as a character, she was a predator, always looking for prey. Right. So, I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's true. Um, let's uh, let's do this one. Uh, oh shit! Philip Glass was the composer on this. Oh damn! Oh no, no, he wasn't. Oh, let's say you know who Philip Glass is. Sound familiar? Uh, Philip, don't know. He he did the he did the uh, score for or he composed Candyman. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty awesome music. So yeah, very nice. Yeah, uh, fucking incredible, and and very much into the whole aspect of pianos and things like that. So oh, yeah, very beautiful. Um, but he, I guess he was replaced with Clint Mansell instead, who is also. Uh, a very beautiful just pianist as well um, I already told you earlier the film is inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's 1943 uh, Shadow of a Doubt um, but let's get this one right here this is a good one large stone pieces decorates Evie's moody room they were originally a part of Louis Sullivan's design building in Chicago but found by the production at Nashville Antique Store and used in the film since they looked like tombstones wow that's pretty fucking That's great. That's super dope. You know, fuck. Let's do one more. Kidman's performance as Evie was included in TribecaFilm.com as one of the year's most underrated performances. I agree. The author claimed Kidman exploits Evelyn's fragility with her ever glance and gesture. Kidman as Evelyn radiates a strange kind of unnerving elegance. So fucking cool. So like, dope. What the hell? She killed it. So dope. 
she did. Yeah, no, no, no. She did fantastic. And God, I, I just, I, I love, I just love it. I love her, her talent in this film so much. Um, but let us know over on Twitter what you think about Stoker. I know I placed a, a place to tweet a month ago, um, and a lot of people had thoughts. And uh, thank you so much. But let's keep that conversation alive because this film does not get talked about enough. Right. And I need for, for more people to talk about this film because it deserves it. Um, but definitely let us know what you think about this. We will be rounding out our month of family trauma, also known as uh, Family is Where Hell Is. With Hereditary. Ugh. Very excited to talk about Hereditary. Um, I know this is going to be David's first time watching it. Wow. Uh, this is not your first time watching no. it. Um, but this is what, your first time revisiting it in a while, right? Oh, for sure. I think I only saw it the one time and then bits and pieces throughout like life. Yeah, yeah, throughout. Yeah, well, I'm very excited for you to revisit this and I cannot wait. But... This was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights, and alongside me we had Freddy. Spoopy boys. Also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a what? Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.